let's help transition a person's mind into thinking, okay, you know, this GTO approach that I have is like the perfect way to play where that couldn't be really farther from the truth. And my opinion, I mean, the more information and the more understanding that you have inside the game of all the different mechanics inside of it adds so much to like that infinite spider web that the game is of poker, especially more when you talk about tournaments, as opposed to like hundred big blind cash over and over where you see all of these different intricate scenarios with different players at different stages of the tournament. And depending on even how they feel that day is going to determine how they play this hand. So if you're just looking at, you know, your, the sheet in front of you, you're, you're missing a lot of the picture. Yeah, you know, I, I like, and I really, I heard you talk a lot in, uh, actually, we haven't really started the pot yet, but uh, just, uh, this, I, 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 I get excited because I heard you talk a lot about stuff like, uh, I feel like the energy at the tables, the flow of the game, maneuvering around the situations. And actually, there's a lot of alignment in philosophy. Have you ever read the book Art of War? Yeah. You heard about the book? Yeah. And like, there's one philosophy in there from Sun Tzu, which I strongly relate with and which is a big philosophy in my poker game. And I think you would agree. It's like the avoid what is strong and strike what's weak. You try to you try to figure out, okay, when are people weak? That's when you strike. And you try yeah. to figure out when people are strong. That's when you try to avoid. And that's really kind of what I got from hearing you talk about poker. It's like, yeah, you, you just try to pick up on as much information as possible, which gives you a, a more accurate idea about his range. And then you can just look at your hand. Well, how does my hand does against his range? Well, I think he's pretty strong. Well, I think he's pretty weak. So let's I, let's follow exactly. it up accordingly, right? And then, like you know, the let's you know go through the stage of GTO. Everyone's so studied at preflop poker, so they're masters of preflop poker. But now bring them like deep in the spider web on these turn and river spots that you know they couldn't have done enough study to really be sharp in this situation. So it's like, yeah, of course, you know, I know that you you guys have it down of defending ranges and the big blind and how to play these pre-flop three betting spots. But when you wind up in these strange ones that you couldn't really have gotten that far in like studying chart, I think, because I see poker is such like a infinite game with that you have to take every bit of information that you have. Yeah, I mean, you're you're clearly a puzzle solver, right? You try to get yourself into a situation and you solve the puzzle. Whereas the new school poker players may be a bit more studied in terms of charts and less good at solving the puzzle that's presented to them. Weird situations, like what the hell is going on? I don't know. I haven't seen this. I haven't seen this solution yet. So yeah. what do I yeah, do and now? They, like, they take away like their power of creativity from themselves because now they just base every play that they make oh, okay you know i'm gonna go check it up after the tournament oh, okay solver says it's right okay all done actually use my brain at all and solve any problems then it just turns into a memorization game and then you wind up yeah deep in the spider web with some tough spiders and they're gonna eat you alive I, I, I love the spider web. The spider web, we definitely we need to get back. All right, let's <laughs> let's let's let, let, let me introduce you in the pot and let's start the Perfect. pot before you know we ramble. I'm sure we're gonna talk before about we talk for the next like two hours without a recording. What's up, my fellow poker enthusiasts? It's Renee, aka the Wacko here, and together with my co-host Adam Carmichael, we present to you the Mechanics of Poker podcast. In this podcast, we deconstruct high-stakes poker players, figuring out what it is about them, how they think, what they do that makes them so successful, with an extra focus on the obstacles they faced and the skills they had to develop to surpass them. 
Over the years, me and Adam have gained a lot of experience in both reaching high stakes poker ourselves and teaching other players to do the same. We have bundled all this knowledge together in our coaching program, The Mechanics of Poker, which is the most complete poker coaching product on the market. If you want to have a chance to work with me and Adam so you can get unstuck and make more progress in your poker career, go over to mechanicsofpoker.com to apply. But without further ado, let's learn from another high stakes player's journey in today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Mechanics of Poker podcast. Before we dive into another great episode, I wanted to put out a quick announcement that our Mechanics of Poker 2.0 coaching program is open for enrollment up until the end of this weekend. This is your last chance to enroll in the Mechanics of Poker 2.0 before we will close the program permanently to make sure you take action and you don't miss out we put it together the best promotion ever there's 25% off on the program and three bonuses worth close up to 3000 euro in free value so go over to mechanicsofpoker.com or click the link in the description below to work with me and Adam and make 2024 your best poker year ever introducing today's guests we will be chatting with the current number one all-time money list holder Bryn Kenny what drew me personally to invite Bryn on the pod is both his polarizing character. Some might hate him, some might love him. I'm personally more in the love camp myself. His tolerance to risk, constantly putting big chunks of his net worth on the line and the confidence he has in himself regardless of his results. I'm also very curious about his development throughout poker, starting out as a gamer, but later start to see poker as a great vehicle to learn more about yourself and about life. He's also mentioned that we are all students of life and he's very passionate about learning and developing himself in our areas, be it technically, socially, physically, or spiritually. This personal growth has allowed him to be more present in the moment while playing poker so he can better listen to his instincts Feel the flow of the game, maneuver around the poker tables, and make great decisions. As always, I'm joined with my co-host, co-mechanics of poker coach, Mr. Mindset and Performance, Adam Carmichael. Adam, Brink comes across as a very intuitive player who follows his gut. When we mention topics like intuition, gut feeling, there's usually a bit of vague topics. Could you maybe clarify for the audience what a gut feeling actually is and how it can both help, but also hinder the quality of your poker decisions? I would class a good feeling as a access to knowledge, which isn't in your kind of conscious reason, conscious thinking. And this is often off millions of data points. If you think someone like Bryn's probably played millions and millions of poker hands, he's built a strong intuitive feeling of how spots feel. So for example, often you can see an opponent feels strong in this spot or he feels weak. It's not like I've consciously thought through his range. It's like the sample size I have intuitively is telling me he's either strong or he's weak here. Now, where that can go wrong is we have something called biases, which lead us into certain directions where our emotions, let's say we're risk averse and we have an intuitive feeling to fold, but that might be coming from a fear or a fear or an insecurity where you don't want to put chips in. So we've got to navigate this space of how do we listen to our intuition? How do we develop a strong intuitive feeling how do we still use our logic to make good decisions and then when does that keep us take us astray so yeah i'm looking forward to uh, this conversation with Bryn. we can go deeper into uh, how he uses his own intuition to make decisions and i'm very interested in extracting as much knowledge as we can from him yeah me too this guy has a lot of knowledge really really excited to start chatting but before 
before we start, I would like to give a big shout out to our sponsor, GTO Wizard. We are proud to announce a technological breakthrough. Introducing GTO Wizard AI. This powerful technology can solve any custom poker spot in seconds to high accuracy. Unlike pre-solved solutions, this allows you to edit the solving parameters. That means you can modify the ranges, change the stack and pot sizes, customize the betting tree, and automatically simplify and optimize your bet sizes. Brace yourself, the meta is about to change. So sign up to GTO Wizard using the link below, gtowizard.com slash mechanics, get 10% off on your first subscription and join the weekly webinars of which one every month is with me. Looking really forward on coaching you guys there. But without further ado, let's get into goodness of today's episode. All right. Bryn, great to have you on the Faultman. You have recently uh, reclaimed the number one spot I saw on the all-time money list. Congratulations. You took down the 250K for 6.8 million. Not, not a bad score. I was wondering, is being number one, which you are right now, is that something that you have always strived towards ever since you got into poker? And if so, what drives you and what gives you the confidence to set a goal? Because I can imagine a lot of people just start to play out poker and see, well, you know, let's see how far I can take it. And their confidence rises when their results rise. But you straight away said, listen, I'm going to be number one. Where, how, how does that work? I don't like, I guess it's hard. Where, do, where does that come from? Because I just had this, I guess, innate confidence in myself. I think I would say that it has to start from like your upbringing as a child, the amount of like, love and support that you get so I would shoot it all back from like really the beginning the beginning where I feel like I had an amazing family amazing parents who gave me tons of love and enabled my creativity I think that a lot of people kind of get their creativity stolen from them at different stages in their life either if it's their parents the system of school the system of the world and what it expects from you. You're supposed to maybe fit into like a certain mold where I feel like it was instilled as into me, like to be my own person and to believe in that. And I think that there's no way you can really have confidence in yourself like that, unless if you're really in touch with yourself. So I've... I, th I think that, um, I don't know, it was just like a match made in heaven, I guess, me and poker from the beginning is like, as soon as I started playing poker, I really loved the aspects of testing yourself, uh, always like being in continuous growth and trying to be a better and better version of yourself while competing against other people who are trying to do the same and see themselves as the top. It made it really fun for me so I think that's another part of it like you really need to have fun I might be shooting it a little early but um like I I have friends that said right when I really got into poker at 17 years old that I was I was saying to them that I was going to be number one in the world and to imagine where that comes from you know now being such like a different version of myself than the 17 year old version you know this version would have to say on one side that a bit of a lunatic, no matter what, like a bit of a, a, a different screw, I guess, than others, but then also just like a belief that I could make something that I see that maybe others would convince themselves that it's not possible. You know, let's say you imagine that thought, and we all have so many different thoughts. 
And I feel like a lot of people are prone to not believing in their thought and saying that this is too grandiose of a thing that, you know, how could, like, there's no way that I could actually accomplish this because at that point, you know, you see you're at this huge mountain and you're at the bottom. You really just started on the mountain and there are so many people climbing it. And you're saying in your head, you know, I'm going to be the one who reaches the top of the mountain at some point or for, not really first because, you know, there were other people who played, but I guess the reaching the highest point of that mountain, I guess it is because since the number one all-time winner is always growing, I guess the mountain also has to like grow. So reaching the highest like level of that mountain you know a lot of it's very easy to tell yourself that you can't do it you know no matter what if you have like that thought but i i think it's the same to believe that you can and i don't know my my whole like experience because uh before i was playing poker i was playing magic the gathering and my goal was to be number one in the world and the 15 and under group which is when I really played Magic the Gathering, there was a Pro Tour and the JSS, Junior Super Series, they called it, which was 15 and under, and there were two different levels. And I was able to reach number one in the world in that. So I think that was like the preemptive belief that, okay, I was, I already saw something that was, that is this, you know, grand thing to reach. I was able to make it happen. Now this new thought comes into my head that I can reach it on a different mountain. And I just had the, I believe that thought and, you know, it never, I would say at the same time though, nothing, nothing's, nothing's given and nothing's easy. You know, you, you accept, uh, I, I see life as like a infinite possibilities. So it's like when I started to climb this mountain of poker to be the best, I was given a certain type of road of challenges that you would have to uh, accomplish to reach like the top of the mountain. And I think that it was much different than most other people experience in poker because you see a lot of the winners, they kind of continuously win. So they have this upward trajectory. All the people that you're playing with really in high rollers, they're winning on a yearly basis and they don't have you know the necessarily the leaks because kind of the guys who have leaks in betting sports and other things they wind up like really washing off at some point because it's going to be too big of a leak to actually well i guess it just it compounds the difficulty of like the road that you're on so you know my leak was always staking spending a bit too much money I don't know if I wouldn't call it a leak. So helping out too many people is definitely not a leak. But if you look at it in terms of like what happened to my bankroll at different stages, it was definitely massively affected by helping a lot of people. But at the same time, I wouldn't call that a leak. Uh, that's something that I enjoy doing. And it's I mean, like, I guess it's also who you help, right? Yeah, because that, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Like the beginning, you know, you think you're helping other poker players, taking them and giving them like a path to win. And then you realize that that doesn't really work. And then you then start gearing your help towards people who are actually making an influence with that help or able to use your resources to positively benefit more people instead of just this one person game. But then at the same time, you know, cause it's like, um, what was like the fire that kept me going? So along this journey from when I started playing poker to reaching number one, I went from millionaire to, broke to negative 500k 
to millionaire, to making a bad business deal, negative millionaire, uh, get back in like the green again, build up a million again. So it, it, there was none of this like, uh, you know, calm road. It was like a, a wild and crazy ride of like, you know, can you hang on to the roller coaster? Like when it's flipping you every which way. And the thing for me that I think made it possible for me to even hang on the roller coaster at those stages is because I always equated my success to uh, enabling more happiness to others, starting with my immediate family in terms of, you know, when I was a kid, my parents had bills, they had, there were all these reasons why I wanted to be successful so that I could help my parents, my grandma, my siblings. So all of my success then equated to, in my mind, happiness for others. And as, as you're young, you don't necessarily do it in the best way. You're always learning. You know, you might be enabling people at some points where you're trying to help them, but it might not be the best approach. But at the same time, you don't really have the tools in your bag yet to understand what the best approach is. But it's like, because of that, no matter how bad of a spot I was in, like I went from, uh, building, starting uh, the end of one summer with 50K on full tilt. Three months later, I had three and a half million on full tilt. Six months later, I had negative 500K and lost it all. And most of it like was from staking. And then, so I wind up in this spot where I'm negative 500K and uh, I was playing, to get there, I was playing the highest stakes PLO. I, I just like hopped in PLO and started winning. And once I get to this negative 500 figure, I'm starting to exhaust like, the credit I can get from people and the ability really to operate. So I've got to pull it all back and say, okay, well, uh, I, I might've been playing 500, a thousand PLO versus Ivy winning two months ago, but now I've got to play $20 tournaments and just make two, 300 a day just to dig myself out of this hole. So I feel like too, a lot of times people get into a hole and they think they can get themselves out overnight where I'm very patient in those situations. And I think good at making decisions back against the wall but it's like that fire of helping my family helping more than myself so it's like I would equate it to like a gladiator in the arena and you know sometimes you might have a leg chopped off you're going to be in a bad spot like sometimes you have to accept that though and whatever comes out of the other side you know all you can do is give it your best but at the same time keep giving it your best until your final breath and yeah, that ability to help people really resonates with me the most. It's what I what I like the most really about this life experience that we have is positively affecting people and trying to share the lessons and the skills that you've learned or harnessed during this life. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds great, but I mean, that's also a reason why you agreed, I guess, to come on this pod, right? To share your your experience. So, I mean, a lot of uh, striving poker players or already professional poker players listening, they probably have, some of them will have the same ambition, but some of them, oh, Kenny is now number one. Well, I'm going to be number one. And Kenny is now here going to explain me how I can have to believe in myself to actually become number one. But it sounded like, like your upbringing gave you sort of the permission to believe in yourself, right? You mentioned creativity. And then I guess your experience in magic at a young age kind of gave you that confirmation, like, hey, I got the permission to be confident. And I've, with my skills, I now actually have the right to be confident because I'm actually very good at magic. You then 
went on, I think you mentioned you had 50k on Food Tilt, went to 3.5 million. I, I assume that didn't happen over there. How did you then switch from Magic to playing poker? And mm. when did you kind of, could, could you kind of call yourself a professional? And how did that, let's say, first year of your professional career look like? Did that straight away go to this 50k, three and a half million, and back you to know, that, was like a, that, was a, that was a few years like into the into the career, just since we were on like the mindset, I I got into that a bit early, but um, so yeah, like Magic, uh, so I played Magic really until I was 16 and was out of that JSS thing. I probably played some poker, like in that time still, but that's when I really, I guess, transitioned my love for games from Magic into poker and. At that time, I was just playing with some friends in high school. We would play a sit and go in my grandpa's backyard and afternoon of some days and just play between friends. And I wound up playing a bit more like between friends. And at this same time, uh, it was when David Williams made his deep run in the World Series main event. And Dave Williams being a magic player kind of had the magic players thinking like, oh, wow, you know, this guy just won, I forget what it was, maybe 2 million, 3 million in the early days of, I think it was in 2005. So anyone who played Magic was really like, oh, I must be in the wrong game. And I, this is the game for like higher stakes. So I got to jump into this one. And then uh, it was just like, as soon as I started playing online, I was really just hooked that at Poker Stars at the time just had decent size. Well, for the state, for that time, I was playing five, 10, 20, $30 tournaments that I would just hop in for. And they kind of had that all day, all throughout the night. So my first year after high school was when I really got into it a lot. And I was in pretty good shape uh, when I graduated high school, but I gained 60 pounds in the first year, just playing poker all day, every day, ordering shitty food, really all throughout the day. Um, so then uh, my parents were, or I, my mom more was concerned that I should go to college. So I said, okay, you know, I'll apply, I'll go to this community college. Uh, right around the corner from us was one of the best community colleges in the country. So it's like, okay, whatever to satisfy you guys, I'll go sign up over here. But I think it was in the first uh, two weeks that I just really had no interest for it of sitting there through accounting classes and this, that, and the other. It really just didn't pique any of my interest or creativity. And I was already playing uh, a bit of poker, but I hadn't really found any success. And I remember it was during WCOOPS in a September and there was a tournament that I really liked that I had to miss for class. And I just, after that, I just left the class and said, yeah, I'm done. And just started Priorities, man, priorities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get that. Well, that like belief, because most people would then convince themselves, no, I'm supposed to go to school. So like kind yeah, safe of route, right? continue like something that they really lose all of their creativity where it's like, um, and that's why that, that's one of the reasons why I love poker. I think it's, it's, a, it can be such a creative expression of yourself where there are so many different poker styles that you could craft a world-class strategy of from very tight to very aggressive. And there's somewhere in there that you can craft a masterful strategy in there, which means that the best way that you could play poker is how you feel like playing poker. And there are a lot of people that playing super aggressive wouldn't really work for just their personality. And the same for like the other side of the spectrum. Whereas now, since 
kind of the approach and at the same time, the way that the media portrays it is that this is a solved GTO game where there's a perfect way of playing the game and nothing else, which I would say completely takes anyone's creativity out of it, which now you don't have really any space to, to make your magic, let's call it, in the in the way that works for you, you're now following like a book. So, so for me, that thinking is kind of going back to the same approach of following the path of going to school and getting a job. You're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do that. So then taking really the fun out of the game. And if you're not having fun in it, you're never going to be able to be your best either. I think that was. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Especially I can relate to it. Like in terms of like, solver age where it's just like well now i'm just following what the solver says and everything kind of does what the solver does so i just follow the solver as well and then kind of the creativity gets drawn out of it and with that also the fun gets drawn out of it yeah and and now we're in a time where all of the poker programs are talking gto everything and right play and wrong play and that you can't win unless if you play this gto approach you know, if I was someone on the outside listening to this, it sounds like the least fun game ever, where like I see poker as like the most fun game ever, where there are so many possibilities to craft like your own style. Now you're trying to sell something to people that has no fun in it. Most of the people that you're watching on there don't look like they're having fun either. They're not saying anything, doing anything. And you know, I, I'm not someone that's, you don't have to talk to people, you know, in hands and do X and Y, but, you know, for me, it was always like, if someone, you're in a high roller scene, so you see a lot of the same people every day. And, you know, if someone new comes to the scene, usually they're a recreational person. If a lot of people don't know them, they're a recreational player. And, you know, they want, they're there to have fun. You need to, poker needs to be fun to be able to attract those type of people to actually want to play. So I was always the one that would talk to this person, you know, and I'm also very interested in people, especially ones who had different experiences than poker, but made it to the top of their field, which now they can play these high roller tournaments for fun. It's a whole different experience than the poker player one, which of course I've done myself. I'm familiar with so many people and I feel like it's just uh something that's kind of it's like an art of lost it's like an art that's lost almost you know you go into a casino and your host is going to welcome you you feel like you're welcomed into this space and you know you might go play a poker tournament and no one even said a word to you it doesn't seem like really much fun and then the unfortunate side of it too is a lot of the people who are even going to be friendly with you are going to try to invite you to their home game, which is a, a whole nother horrible thing for the game, which I've, I've made a lot of friends who are recreational players. I've never made a home game or tried to invite them to my home game to make money off of them. I see. And I think this is a lot of people in the world just have this limited approach of what's best for me right now is the path that I'm going to take where actually I think that it's a horrible path, the one that's trying to take advantage of a person that you fortunately meet in this scenario. So, you know, you're in this scenario with clearly intelligent people that have found a route to make it to the top and a different one than your own. And you're a poker player who thinks about all these things. And the more information like you have, the better you can make any decisions. So 
I feel like why would you ever want to connect with a good person and try to make a short-sighted move like how can I make money off of this person instead of like hey let me see if I actually have a connection with the person do we think alike in some aspects and wind up in a situation where not, not one of the either is looking to gain advantage on the other and a lot of times you even see it where I would see a recreational player ask a pro you know did I play this hand like well and they would really they would just lie to their face where you know there's so many spots in poker you can tell a person who's here playing for fun if they made the correct play or not not just to save your whatever you have in your mind for EV so I think we went down kind of a bad way recently where everything is thought of more and what's best for me right now. And you're even seeing that in the industry of online poker, giving as little as they possibly can and kind of always upping their side, upping administration fees and fees for deposits and withdrawals, kind of milking the cow as much as it possibly can, because we're on this like uh, I'd say place that too many of us are thinking and not just poker in the world, but I guess because I see poker players in a more advanced. So poker players are the ones who, you know, accepted a life that has nothing guaranteed. So already they jumped into something of belief in themselves and belief to do something different than the world tells you to do. So and I think it's it's something where you learn these skills in poker, but unless if you really reflect on the lessons that you learn and try to translate them to life you're kind of just going to miss the whole process of what you learned and the skill of problem solving that poker teaches you can really be applied to anything in the world because any decision that you're you're making anything that you're doing it's all based on the information that you have and making the best decision in the moment that you can so poker, you know, has you calm in this setting where lots of pressure is under you and you have to make these tough, tight decisions and you don't see many translating it to life. Um, you know, it's interesting. Life, life is interesting. And at the same time, I would say that I uh rewind to me five years ago and all i thought about was poker i didn't apply any of these things really to life i had in my mind that um i was doing such a great job and had this balance in life and was at such like a great point where then fa once i make it let's say a year out of that you start to think like how could you have possibly thought you had any balance the only thing that you were actually thinking about or doing was playing poker so and I think it's like that, you know, life is such a humbling experience, really, where especially the harder you try, the more difficult lessons that life is going to give you. But at the same time, if you keep rising to the challenge, you know, they'll keep coming and you can keep growing along this like ladder that we're on. But at the same time, if you're not willing to completely destroy like the thought of yourself and how you see almost everything you're going to have a hard time adapting to the changing times of the world because you know you're stuck in one kind of thinking and i just like i think everything relates to poker it goes back to like poker too there aren't many people who really crushed for 10 10 15 20 years 
because they had a style that was good in their time and the game evolved. And usually they didn't put in the word, they kind of got to the top of the hill, let's say, you know, a perfect example is Tom Dwan was killing everybody crushing heads up, kind of got to the top of the hill saw and got a bit comfortable game changes and the way that it changes a bit, you know, then comes like the jungle man, uh, a Silder era where it's like a new whole way of thinking that took all of the ways of Tom's thinking and how he played and translated it to a new level. And he kind of didn't work on his game. He was, you know, sitting at the nosebleed games, wasn't getting action, wasn't getting to sharpen his skills while on the same time, you know, Silder was playing all day, every day, 24 hours a day, sharpening his skills at the highest level. So it's like, then when uh, he, they reached like the same point, you know, Silder was ready for it. And Tom really kind of got lazy on the top of his thing. And it's kind of, it's, we've seen, there have been a lot of that through poker. So it kind of just highlights more that if you're not willing to change with the times, the times are really going to eat you alive. If you know, you stay stuck in this way of thinking and way of being so, and then at the same time, it's a, uh, I don't know if tough is the right word. It's like a beautiful journey of growth life, but it's a humbling, you know, rip your whole like thoughts of, of everything apart, you know, wind up in the dirt, have to pull yourself like out of it, laugh at yourself for, you know, things that people might, you know, go crazy about, but just like pull yourself back together and, you know, take all of it and use it like as a bag of tools for that next phase. I mean, your experience, obviously, you know, you're sharing your experience, the way you experience life, but obviously you were the guy who said he was going to become number one, right? And you already mentioned, yeah, that's going to be quite a humbly road. But in, in the same time, I think if you set very high goals, this is kind of the benefit, then you can also experience the most amount of growth, right? Obviously you have experienced yeah. a lot of variance in your life, but therefore you've also meant... You also manage to grow as much as possible. Whereas if a lot of people, they just play poker just to get by, I think it's kind of a wasted opportunity. Like you said, you can learn a lot about life if you set a high goal in poker, like, for example, becoming number one. Now, not everyone has to necessarily try to become number one, but at least I think setting the goal makes you open up your mind to the possibilities. Well, I want to become number one. Well, what should I then try to be doing to become number one? And then if you have yeah. the belief that you can actually become number one, when these obstacles come, you just see it as, hey, these are opportunities to learn. Where if someone doesn't really have that confidence, they might see it as like, oh, you see, it's not for me. And they quit and they go back into comfort. And then they won't have the same experience that you have, right? They won't yeah. have had the same amount of growth. Yeah, because if you're at, if you accept comfort, then you're never pushing your limits or pushing the boundaries that like you've set out for yourself that are never comfortable. But yeah, if you don't go through it, then life is going to be that, you know, it'll be a comfortable one that there won't be much growth. You might watch a lot of sports games and drink a lot of beer and kind of coast through this life without learning much or, you know, take the one that, you know, you might make it to the top. You might make it to the top, have like this high level of trust in the community integrity of yourself and how you act in all settings and you might have that just destroyed overnight in some way that you know you could have never imagined and you know you just your whole idea of yourself what you're doing in life it's like back to the drawing board it's, you know you make it to the top of this mountain and 
all of a sudden, you know, you're wiped to the bottom again. So then it's a, it's a whole nother humbling experience because how you feel and how people treat you when you're at the top of anything and then how you feel or how people treat you when you're at the bottom is such a different reality that unless if you really have that acceptance of whatever happens and belief that it's all for like this greater good and that life always it's like life tests it gives you what you can it's like uh what what's the saying life gives you uh what you can handle not what you want so you know you see yourself as this i always saw myself as a strong person that could you know carry others on my back let's say that's kind of how i thought about it that you know, I would carry my family on my back, whatever they need, I could fight for them. I was strong enough, focused enough to like keep going up. And then, you know, you, you start carrying more and more on your back until one day, you know, it all crashes on you again too. And this whole like experience that you could do everything and you could carry all these people on your back and it's no problem washes away into like something new and hey now how am I even looking at life and how do I how am I acting how am I perceived by other people because you know that's a whole nother thing in itself where I've always been since my since my dedication is so much I've always been very hard on myself to be better to grow not in the sense that I say bad things to myself, but to the sense that I'm pushing my limits continuously, while at the same time, I'm doing a lot of good for a lot of people. But while I'm while I was in this chasm, and being from New York, I speak fast, I speak direct, I see things in a, a different way, I kind of can hit to the target, really, where it's like, my thinking was, no, I'm the soft person who enters like the room. I'm always trying to help everybody. You start to realize yourself later. It's like, no, no, you're this like crazy intense person that's hard on everyone. Yes, it's because you're hard on yourself and you're only giving them a small bit of the hardness that you have on yourself. Where at the same time, is that how you want to, you know, be seen in the world? Or can you harness that intensity and you know, be able to spread the same message with calmness and with love instead of with sharpness and directness. Because since all of us especially are wired very differently, there are some people that, you know, if you hit just straight with harshness and directness, you'll never be able to touch any bit of like their, of them actually listening to the message that you're trying to give them where it's like poker, you have to come with a different approach in every setting that you're in. And unless if you're mindful, and you even understand what does it mean to breathe? Like, yeah, I know how what, first time someone who, you know, was a bit more advanced to breathing or a lot more advanced to breathing. They asked me, you know, well, like, how do you breathe? Your first thought, like, is what do you mean? Yeah, what the fuck? Well, what do you mean? <laughs> I breathe. I breathe like everybody else. What kind of like thought is that? How do I breathe? Then it's like, no, no, no. You don't understand. You're not actually breathing. <laughs> like you're not breathing through your nose. You're like a mouth breather. You, you're not like taking in air a lot of times. You're not mindful of your breath. This whole mechanic that can work so well to your advantage of keeping your cool under intense circumstances and it's like wait you know I had no idea about this and that's the amazing thing about life there are all these different pods of information gifts things that you can incorporate into your way of being 
to be just a better version of yourself. So but this is the thing, right? Like if you, if you, for example, set the goal to become number one and someone tells you, Hey, you're not breathing, right? Your brain is starts to link. Wait, so if I breathe better, I can concentrate more. I perform more under pressure. Hey, I want to become number one. Hey, that, that seems like something, you know, whereas if you're just working in the supermarket, you know, and, and you're, you're, you're putting in the bottles in the shower and someone says, Hey, you're breathing where you're like, yeah, okay. Like <laughs> What well, what is really better? Gonna, yeah, uh, can, can, can can I fill this shell in a in a in a faster <laughs> way? What like why 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 would that matter to me? But I would challenge you there because I would say that it all depends of the determination that the person that you run into has. For sure. Because they can be at a point where they're stocking things in a grocery store, but they might see themselves at somewhere completely different. So it's like that's why life will kind of. Let's say give but you then they see this breathing as an opportunity for this bigger picture that they already have. If they don't have the bigger picture, they're not going to interpret their breathing as a way, like sort of a path or one of one of the tools that they can use in order to get to their better life, if you get what I mean. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's definitely true, which is then they would just go in the bucket of the people who are looking for comfort in their life and you exactly. know, might, might as well count those people out. You know, if you're if you're looking for comfort, you know, it's probably the wrong podcast to listen to to be honest yes yes no this is definitely not a not not a podcast for comfort uh, <laughs> if you want to you mentioned something yeah imagine if you want to imagine big dreams and you know push your boundaries and believe what others might tell you is impossible then you know, i might be the right cup of tea for you then this then this is the part to listen to you mentioned exactly. all the way in the beginning as well right that you get a lot of motivation out of uh, taking care of your siblings, you feel a certain amount of responsibility. This can be very motivating. Obviously, when it becomes too much, I think like you experienced, it can also just, yeah, the weight is too much, then it becomes actually feel like pressure. I actually had the same when I was just, you know, living living a single life, you know, was playing a bit of poker. It was like, ah, if it all goes to shit, I'll just go back to my hometown, you know. But then suddenly, you know, I, I got married, moved in together with my wife, and I was supporting my wife financially. It was like, hey, wait, oh, shit, I actually have to now do my best because I don't no longer only feel for myself, and I also feel for others. I do remember this gave me, like, a certain amount of motivation that I think that I think you're describing as well. I also wanted to touch on, like, the creativity part that you keep on coming back to. If you want to become number one, and you encounter a problem, let's say you encounter a tough opponent, he's in the way of you becoming number one. If your goal is not to become number one, you might just quit. Whereas oh, if you want to become number one, you have to go through this guy. So it really it really helps you think on a whole nother level. It's like, okay, quitting is not an option. How am I going to beat this guy? That's when you really start to think. And that's when yeah. you can really come up with more creative strategies. And that's, I think, nowadays when people kind of think, ah, the, the game is solved anyway, so there's no room. Well, it's, it's, it's more like that, it's that mentality that stops you from being created, creative. Not the the like the game and the solver area to a certain degree does, but it's way more how you come. It's way more your mindset, I think, that limits you in terms of the creativity than the actual where poker currently is headed. Yeah, and then, but then I think also, I the way that I saw it is that well, let's start with uh, this one uh, mushroom trip that I had. So uh, I'm sitting in a place in Mount Shasta. So it's kind of like in the woods. I have this log cabin. It's during COVID. Everything is locked down around the world. But I created this kind of haven for myself. I set up gym, like a nice setting to not really feel the intensity that the cities around the world were feeling. So I was sitting there with uh, one friend one day, ate like a bit of mushrooms. I'm sitting in the office. And it's happened multiple times where 
you know, you're on mushrooms and something asks you if you have any questions, or at least personally, that's what's happened. You know, you feel something that the question is, do you have any questions? My response always up until that date was, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with what you've given me so far, you know, just keep giving me, you know, what I, what I need in the moment. This time I, for some reason, it just popped in my head and I was doing really well in poker at the time. I think it might've even been after I became number one. So I had the biggest winning year of all time in 2019. It was just an unbelievable year where I won every big tournament, even main event like Aussie Millions too. So my question at this point, and it was the only time I asked a question actually, was why is it that others like in poker can't compete with me? And the response that I got was because you're not competing. So it made me think of that because when you're then talking about, you know, if you're trying to become number one, you have to run into this certain person. It's true, you're going to wind up at the table with this person. But at the same time, the best approach may even be to kind of tread water and not step in too much because, you know, you see this someone, this person as someone who's very good and pots against you, thinks well, but maybe you think that their weakness is that they call too loose against weaker opponents. You almost then can, as long as not stop stepping on any minds, you can almost just tiptoe around that person and just make it through them instead of feeling like you're actually in competition with anyone or you need, because you're always wind, wound up with a situation to make a decision and it's only on you to make the best decision that you can. So I guess that message that they were giving me on this trip was that my competition and my drive was always with myself. I never thought like, you know, you have to outperform this person or that person, or, you know, this is your target and you have to beat them. It's like, no, no, you have, you're at a challenge with yourself to be the best version of yourself always to make the right decision in the spot. And sometimes that'll wind up in hand with this person, play the best that you can. And sometimes you'll wind up in hands versus other weaker opponents where you can really maximize the advantages that you have. Yeah, it's true, especially in like tournaments. Like obviously this wouldn't be true in a heads-up format. That's more like King of the Hill where you have to yeah. just go through someone. But especially yeah. like you can be a better, like someone can be better in an actual poker hand. But if you construct your strategies, if you maneuver around the table and if you're better at other aspects, you might be the better player overall. It's like something that, that when you were talking about that it's more about yourself. Remember me of an interview of Conor McGregor where he was fighting, I think, Jose Aldo. And then they were asking about Jose Aldo. And he said, listen, it's not about Jose Aldo. You're not against Jose Aldo. You're against yourself in there in the ring, he said. Who the fuck oh, yeah. is Jose Aldo? It's me <laughs> against myself, he said. It's more like, uh, more like a mental game. That's kind of what, I, what, what reminded me. It's like, you are kind of only playing against yourself. If you manage to show up good, you can beat anyone. That's kind of what he was trying to say. I just focus on showing up as my best version. Then I don't care who comes in my way. I will just, you know, hit it exactly. with my left hook. If you put in the work that you're more prepared than the person that you're in there with, then you're going to come out on top over and over again. So I think it was just kind of like that, even though the obstacles of being a millionaire, negative millionaire, all along like, that road of to be number one it's just like um you know you're you're then just in competition with yourself to pick yourself up to be better to perform the places that you show up as where i then think it's also important not over exhausting yourself and having fun and making sure that 
you show up when you feel like you're ready to show up and not just showing up because you feel like you have to show up. Mm, yeah, I'm sure many players can relate. The days that you sit down because you have to sit down might not really show the same performance as the day you really feel like, hey, I'm ready to perform today. It's like a lot of times, you know, I, I even so like uh, when I when I would think about a super high roller tournament, like let's let's say a the beginning days of that were 100K buy-ins that poker stars ran. They were three day long tournaments. For me, uh, if you in a full three day tournament, like uh, the Triton one, for example, uh, it's so intense and you use so much energy, at least personally, myself to get through that, that my then approach really was, okay, so I know that the time that I need to be my best is on day two and day three, which means that if I'm not ready to play that, that day two and three, I'm going to be ready to play my best, maybe sit out on day one. So there were many tournaments that there's a big long series that's going on. You might've ran deep in a tournament before that. Always the thought is, okay, I've got to jump right in that because I have EV to jump in it goes along like the same GTO strategy. And it doesn't really matter if you're following a playbook of what you're supposed to do, because then the playbook says, you know, your exhaustion doesn't matter. The amount of sleep that you have doesn't matter. The amount of water and food, like, oh yeah, all of these things are nonsense. You know, all that matters is that I've got this chart down that I've studied in my head and I'm ready to go to battle. And then I, yeah, and just I say, think like, oh, I, I have like a certain B100 in the early stages and that's just a number and they don't, it seems like you zoom out more and like, well, I have to kind of manage my energy over a three-day tournament. I think I we had a we had a podcast with uh, Jans Ahrens, aka mm -hmm. GrafTech Online, and he said actually the same thing in this tournament. I might like late rack because these things are quite exhausting. And mm -hmm. I think I heard very back in the day i heard i think it was vanessa Seltz who was also talking about this like yeah late rag or in the in the first day i don't pay too much attention i don't want to waste too much energy i am there but you know if i get a couple of hands just try to stack 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 the recreational player and that's it day two i start to really focus use more more of my energy i think this is a a more holistic point of view that i definitely think is uh, very very underrated by the especially the new school players who just look at the numbers and the charts yeah, and think that they need to study between day one and day two and sacrifice sleep for it. That was another thing that in my mind, that's like one of the most ludicrous things that I could ever imagine. Like when I think of what do I need to perform, sleep comes at the top of the list yeah, yeah. every single time. So it's like- yeah, there's, there's nothing you can study in, in a break or in, in end of day one to day two that actually gonna give you an edge. Rest is always gonna give you a bigger edge. Yeah. So I was so surprised that, you know, these guys that I saw as the same level as myself, you know, talking about how they studied for four or five hours and then couldn't sleep. So only got two, three hours sleep before day two. And I'm like, well, I don't want to talk to you guys too much about this because there, there was another time where um, well, I always had like a different thinking process. And I think also that's why, you know, maybe other people who have this GTO approach tell themselves that I can't be as good or better than they are because I'm losing 0.1 BB by not def defending Jack four off from the big blind and winding up in stupid spot where you're like getting bet pot on the turn with top pair. And now have to wind up in this like blender spot instead of just where you think that you have a huge edge in decision-making versus the field that you're in. There's a whole grade of 
better or worse to better of those people always, you know, you can, you don't have to do anything for something. And, you know, it, it brings back like a time that I forget what year it was. It must've been in like 2013, 2015. And it was in Monte Carlo and there were a lot of high roller players. Like it was the time where, uh, of the Germans, like Igor and Philbort were like at the top and like the, the, like Tobias Rankemeyer day. And there were like 15 guys who were playing, uh, high rollers at the time. And, uh, Philbort just says this story of a hand that he played in Macau in some tournament and everyone's just on the same side of, yeah, you know, I would have played it the same way. So I'm like, well, I would have actually played it this way. So the start is everyone's like, you know, uh, you know, I don't think so. As I started to explain my thought process and why I would have actually played this hand this way, I shifted the whole room into thinking, wow, like that makes perfect sense. Like, I think that's the right way to play it. And that's when like a light bulb kind of went off in my head also of like, you know, that's the end of this, of like giving away the I'm not sharing, I'm not sharing process. anything anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of like became that, you know, lone wolf in the high stakes community. Like there are all these groups of people who study together, swap together, talk poker together. And then there was just me showing up like myself, not talking poker to anyone, teaching a few people poker at certain times, always just playing, learning, never studying, like also st studying, just not something that relates with me. You know, you tell me that this poker journey means that I have to study all these hours to make it to like number one, I would say ah, wrong person, wrong game, like uh, not interested, not fun. Let me find something else that like is actually fun. But I mean, if you learn a lot, if you, for example, let's say you go out and play and some people will learn from good plays others make and mistakes that you make. Let's say, for example, you make a mistake or you see one good play that someone else make it put you in a tough spot. You're like, hmm, you might pick that up straight away and add it to your game. Whereas, for example, me, I might have to make the mistake five times and I have to yeah. face the situation five times before I learn it. So it could mm -hmm. be that you are a very fast learner. Would you say that's true? In, the, in, uh, in practice, like when, you, when you're being too put in tough spots, you're like, hey, I can probably use this or when you make mistakes. Well, like one, one of the best compliments I, I think that I ever got from like a person was this guy, Connor Drennan, who was Blanco Negro online. Like, uh, and what he, he said that he always would learn, like he would learn a lot from me. And he thought the skill that I had was that I adapted to the new style of play and was always ahead of the curve before others were ahead of the curve. So I guess I had that, well, I really immersed my whole life in it. I played poker all day, every day didn't really have much of a life apart from that. So I thought about poker all day, every day also. And like just my whole focus was being put on being better, improving. So it was always like adapting in these changing times of the game. So I think it then comes down to because I put so much focus into it, I was more present in the way that the game was shifting than other people who were putting less focus on it. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. You actually also mentioned it was interesting about what you mentioned about the jack four offhand, where this is just like you follow the chart. But for example, you may taking you were taking in consideration that uh, let's say for example the best guy who's left in the field opens the button and you have jack four off. Yeah. Well, maybe your defense range 
when you're in the big blind versus the best guy who opens on the bottom should maybe look a bit different than if the worst guy in the tournament opens on the bottom, right? Yeah. We have the chart, and this is just like a start place that gives you an idea. Well, you know, given the variables that place, given the equity realization, given your, you know, your showdown ability, how effective your bluffs are going to be on Lady Street, etc. This yeah. is the chart. But obviously, you well, have to estimate for yourself. Well, uh, for this guy who's way more passive, I can probably realize more equity. Therefore, I play more hands. Oh, this guy is very aggressive, going to put me in tough spots. Maybe, you know, if I look ahead, like you said, check for office, pop bet, maybe I'll just fold straight away. Yeah, exactly. Let's just not wind up like in this spot instead of just like in no man's land making a guess on the turn versus a guy who's very capable. And the other thing, you know, I, I would love if you've got an answer for me. Okay. So let's say you're playing high roll, super high roller tournaments. Probably the biggest winner in the field, let's say, has a 20% ROI or something. Person who's playing the best, like in the time. If you believe to be the best or one of the best in the field, let's say that you have between 10 and 20% ROI, why would you be taking high variance spots where you're winning 0.1 BB? I mean, that, that, that depends how, how, how certain you are that the play is good because obviously I think in your mind it's like well oh, it's good, very but there's small a whole different edge. thing but there's a, yeah there's a whole different thing of like good and has enough value for the situation that it's gonna put me in yeah but I mean if you always make the correct play this is the thing right it's it's in his confidence that he will actually make the correct play in all these situations because and also it depends on let's say for example the maximum you think you can gain by this hand is 0.1 BB. But if you screw it up, it's minus, it minus one. Then best case scenario, you're, and you have to do it always right, you win 0.1. Worst case scenario, you, uh, you lose one. Then obviously that's not a fair return, right? Of course. So you always have to look at kind of your, your risk reward in this situation. But I would say if someone's taking on that spot, it's because he believes that that's actually a plus V spot. And he doesn't care if it's 0.1 or 0.5. He just feel like, hey, I'm being dealt this hand. But if you're I mean, in a, it is, it is true that, to a certain degree that if you take on... So this also depends kind of if you look at your table and how much future like plus EV spots will be taken in consideration because 0.1 brings with it a lot of variance and it could actually yeah. knock you out of the tournament. So I would argue that if the rest of your table, if there's more plus 1BB spots, then you should probably avoid the 0.1BB spot because it, it increases your risk of ruin and you can capitalize on the future plus EV spots. I think a lot of people miss exactly what you said right there. I don't need to play tournaments. That of course, I should, 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 should hop into the tournament world. Like of course, there's good there. You know, if you want, if you put yourself in a spot that you think that you're playing with, you know, that you're one of the five best players in the world, and you're playing with the other four best players in the world, you know, you have to take every plus zero point one BB spot that you possibly have. But that's never really the case. So even if you wind up in a table, you know, with one week player in your mind, two week players in your mind, and you're taking these big blind spots that are winning 0.1 BBs, but the opponent that you're up against is betting pot like almost all the time on the turn. You know, your like risk ruin is nightmare in my mind to get such little of an edge. No, oh, yeah, especially in tournaments, like again, you kind of go back to like a more bigger picture approach. And I would say that's definitely true. Like, for example, in a cash game, that doesn't really work yeah, like that not, to not. some degree. You could yeah. make an argument. Doesn't work you can the reload, recreational so. is going to play for an hour. And, you know, I want to get more, there's much hands in with the recreational. So this could be true. So you could actually pass on minus, 
slightly winning if he spots preflop just to get Bigger more hands in versus recreational. Yeah, that that is that is an argument, but I agree with you that in a tournament, you have to probably zoom out uh, way more. So I agree actually with with your with your philosophy here. It really depends on what other opportunities there are to to make money. Yeah. But exactly what what you're describing here is just like the chart expects a certain amount of equity realization. And for example, if you give if you make a preflop chart and you give the turn a pop bet or an overbet. Or if you limit that to three quarters, well, guess what? If you limit it to three quarters, we can now suddenly defend more hands because we don't face that pop bet. So it yeah. sounds like you're you're really good at kind of mapping out, looking ahead in hands, but also in the whole tournament. Like not even this hand, but like future hands. So you yeah. kind of look around and see what the opportunities are and try to maneuver yourself in these more plus a fee opportunities and kind of avoid the marginal high risk to ruin spots. That's kind of how it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, because then, you know, another thing, it goes back to that you can relate poker to life always. It's like in this poker tournament, you have a limited amount of resources. That There's exactly what you have right there. So you have to use your resources like in the best way because your goal is that you can't run out of resources. So if that is, you know, winding up in lots of tough spots, it's going to be very tough because, yeah, you might make some good decisions, some bad ones, but if you wind up kind of trying to steer away from those like ruined spots versus people on your level or close, or maybe confident at that time or feeling good that day, you know, another thing I've never heard anyone else talk about in poker is, you know, I would walk into a high roller tournament and what I would do is really map out the room before the event even starts. And I would have a feeling of who's confident, who's winning, who's losing, who you should go after that day, who you should stay away from. And before the tournament even starts, I've got like a strategy versus different people in my head. Now your table formulates and you have these people and now you have this approach of based on the presence, the, the presence and calmness that the person and confidence that the person is in that day. And then how you want to steer your own you know, ship in which direction. But, but if you think about it, this it this to me makes perfect sense because what you're saying is a more, let's say, for example, you play versus me when I feel more confident. I'm going to play my A game. That means I'm going to take up better spots. If I play against a hand to you and I keep on making better decisions, that's going to cost your AV. So your defend range or your VPIP range or whatever range, the range that you're going to play against me should look different based on if I'm confident or not, because that's going to determine how effective your plays are going to be and how much pressure I'm going to be putting on you. Because if I'm underconfident, I might be giving up more rivers, for example. Therefore, you get to call down with lower pairs because you get to show them more often, right? Yeah. Yeah, plus then, like, since I allowed my, like, creativity to, to run wild, let's say, there are many more possibilities of things that you can do and maneuver with that you know someone else might dictate as you know that's just inherently wrong where there's so many actually pieces to that to say something is right or wrong because you're not in a vacuum you know yeah exactly but when, when he says it's wrong it's true the lens and the variables that he's calculating in his head that make up for a plus if he or minus if he play where for example, in, in the German, where, where you kind of throw your examples out, you probably threw some variables out there that suddenly shift his range to a completely different range that they were perceiving. And they're like, oh, given this information that you just gave and these variables and his range actually looks like this, you're probably right. This is a better play. Yeah, well, plus because you're at war too. So, you know, any way you can almost 
influence your opponent's thinking in the wrong direction, the better you're going to do in war. So, you know, I think I've only spoken about it one time before, and maybe you heard of it. Um, damn, I lost my train of thought. Well, we're going to war, you said. I'm very yeah. curious what's going to follow. I like fell off. Let's hope this doesn't happen when you're actually at war. <laughs> oh, okay. I got it again. I knew I'd get there again. Okay. So, you know, for example, for a long time, people were playing online and they use poker tracker. So the way that they thought was really based on the numbers that they saw that you played. It was the early days of poker tracker. They didn't have all these intricate numbers that they have today. It might not work, you know, what I did in the times of today, but what I would do is anytime I was playing a buy-in that was the smaller size of my range, I would play this absolutely insane game to just throw my numbers completely off of how often I open, how often I three bet. Like uh, my numbers were just like so skewed in the opposite side, which was just like uh, trying to make people think incorrectly in the big spots that they wound up having against me where then when I graduated to live poker and I was playing 250 million buy-ins, 100K buy-ins, what I would then, I, I still continued the same approach. In the 25K tournaments, I played some of the most insane hands ever. And people just had it then in their mind that they've seen me do this in this mm -hmm. spot versus this person in this exact same scenario. And then I just wind up tightening my range in like the higher stakes and just have it over and over again when the stakes are four to 10x the size. So it was like your advertisement budget. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, nice. if, you look, if you look at everything right in front of you, you're looking to make, and then, you know, of course, everything in poker relatable to life. You know, it's like if you're looking at it right in front of you and trying to make the most EV in the moment that you're in right now, you miss out on the big picture and what you could actually gain from the situation that you're in. Where if you, you know, you take a step back, pass on some of these plus EV potential spots for a bigger picture for a different reason, you wind up maybe navigating your river easier. Uh, this is uh this is this is some this is some very smart stuff. What 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 I used to do and like the guys that I used to play with, what we would do we if we would figure out okay we're playing against someone who's also very exploitative uses poker tracker, instead of like basing my decision on his hot stats, I would then look at my own hot stats and based on my own hot stats, figure out, well, if I play against myself, would I be more likely to do this for value as, as a bluff? And yeah. then you can kind of, well, I mm -hmm. know that I don't do this and I know <laughs> that you look at my game. So actually I'm now going to do this because I never do this and vice versa. <laughs> so then yeah. you get it whole And the other guy's just, he's just look at your stats like, nah, he never bluffs here, fold. But yeah, like I looked at my stats and I know I never bluff here. Therefore I bluff because I know you look at my stats. It's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you know, and he's like, now, now there's probably some more new skit solver kids listening. It's like, oh, yeah, I didn't know the, go the game went deeper than, uh, than than just following the charts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sure. I hope, I hope you know, we're, we're triggering, you know, we're having a more creative conversation. I hope we're triggering more fun in people. Uh, I want to I wanna quickly um, bring it back to, you mentioned that now you prioritize sleep, your health, right? Because I guess you realized that, uh, yeah, you perform better when you're healthy. Surprise, surprise. But the first year of your poker, your first year of your poker career, you mentioned you were very overweight, right? You're just clicking, clicking buttons. When when was like the first big success that you had when you started your professional poker career? So I think you mentioned you played for a whole year online. 
uh, you you missed the W Coop event. You were like, "Fuck this! School is messing up with my W Coop schedule. I'm out." <laughs> when was yeah. like the first big success that you had in poker? Like actually, right away when I started playing on Poker Stars, I uh, the first night actually I ever played on Poker Stars, I deposited fifty dollars, and by the end of the night, I was playing a hundred, two hundred limit hold'em with like. Uh, 4k it was the biggest game on stars i had 4k in my account and you even had it was the time where uh you had to request to play in the game and you would get a call from lee davy really who was poker room manager at the time kind of vetting you to see that you could you know afford the swings of 100 200 limit so he gets me on the phone he's like hey you know with this 4,000 balance, you know, it can go really fast in the game. And I was like, oh, you know, don't worry. I got lots more where that came from, where, you know, that was all the money that I just, you know, threw a random 50 bucks on there that I, you know, before I ever made any money. So I wound up losing that that night in 100, 200. The next week I deposited a little bit again. I won a $3 rebuy, I think for 3,000 or so within the next six months i was back to 100 200 limits spinning like a, a roll from nothing to 250k and losing it all so that was i was probably i started at say at maybe 19 was the time i did that where i spun and lost like 250 uh the first time and then I, I played a few tournaments that I could, a Turning Stone tournament in upstate New York. It was just a 1K buy-in. I was 19 years old. That was my first cash ever for 30000 or so. I think in the next year, I went and cashed the WPT in Niagara Falls. Uh, but it was the first time I spun up a million dollars playing poker. I was 20 years old. Uh, that was gone within the year. Uh, then I'd, I think by the time I spun up that the next one might've been that three and a half spin up that I think was like 22, maybe I was, and I was just like kind of lingering around, like from then kind of just had this build up to something, lose it all, go back from scratch, build it up again, lose it all again. Just like, uh, keep having fun and keep playing. I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. Quick reminder, Mechanics of Poker 2.0 coaching program is currently open for enrollment and we've put together the biggest promotion ever. 25% off on the program and three bonuses worth close to 3,000 euros of free value. Enrollment is open for the first couple of weeks of January before we close the program permanently. So don't miss out. Go over to mechanicsofpoker.com. Sign up now and let me and Adam help you achieve your poker goals in 2024. Uh, I'm very curious. Adam, when was the last time you turned a million into zero and went back to a million again? Never. <laughs> <laughs> For me as well, never. So maybe we haven't taken off enough risk in our careers. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, it's not for, it's not for all. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to dive in here because I feel like your story is so unique. And normally, I try to pin, pinpoint like one rock bottom moment, and we try to focus a bit of the conversation on that. But for you, there's just rock bottoms everywhere, and I really want to talk about how you navigate these because I think it's going to be super important for the listener. And you mentioned something: uh, can you hold on to the roller coaster? And I want to dive into that. So for you, uh, we've got these massive peaks, making a million, losing a million, making a million, losing a million. 
and this is happening a lot. <laughs> like it's never happened to me, never happened to Rene, probably never happened to most people listening. But for you, this is quite a normal thing. And you mentioned you are good at digging yourself out of a hole. So I want you to talk to us about how you deal mentally and what you do on a practical level when you do go from plus a million to negative a million. Yeah. So actually it, it pops up into my mind, like, and I'll, I'll try to navigate through an exact like scenario and how I was feeling and how I got through it in the time. This was maybe the third time that I went from millionaire to negative to then built it up again and lost it all again. I was in London and it was kind of crazy actually, because I started that year, I'd lost it all, started that year with a very small amount, really just grinded through it. And by the time that time in September, I was looking at maybe a million, maybe exactly a million dollar roll again. And I had a friend who was doing um, some business that kind of convinced me that it was, you know, uh, something that I should get into. Uh, and the business was actually on paper doing really well. The person who got me into the business, I think, didn't really manage it fairly and took advantage. You know, a lot of people are out there to take advantage of you, unfortunately. So I wind up in that spot where uh, so at this time I was actually on a high from poker. I had like a million dollars I was winning and I had on paper that this other deal was supposed to go through. And on this other deal, I had another one and a half million that was coming to me. But I had to guarantee like some of it and the way that it was managed by the person who set up the deal was, I can't imagine any way that other than it was set out for with bad intentions. You know, but at the same time, I put like my word and my name on it. So I wind up that I, I find out that the deal that the deal just went bad. So not only am I not getting the one and 1.6 mil like that was coming to me from that deal, but I vouched for like uh, a big number of like that deal. So then I had to go from, okay, I'm on this high, I'm winning in poker, I'm feeling great. Now it all really crashes down. I now I'm in a spot where the million that I have, it's if if I'm going to honor what I agreed to, I've got to pay the whole million and I'm in I have to, I think I was maybe negative a million and a half to 2 million or something was the thing that was agreed on. So I'm um, in London at the time and, you know, it, I would never say it wasn't devastating. It was completely devastating. So, you know, not to, not to downplay it and say, oh, you know, piece of cake, whatever, brushed right through it. But the thing that I did do was, you know, I said to myself that no matter, and I have this approach that I say to myself that no matter what, whatever's happened has already happened. And if you want to progress and move along this mountain, you have to accept that you can't let it hanging over your head. You can't let that dictate your existence and your opportunity to attain higher levels of yourself and life, let's say. So I said to myself, I was in this flat in London and I said, okay, the deal is uh, when you leave this flat, you have to just accept it and forget about it. So during that week, I really shut off my phone. I just wanted to disconnect from everything. I, you know, ordered some Nando's, some like, you know, nice delivery foods in London. I smoked a lot of weed. I watched just, you know, movies, things to take my mind off of it. And I would say that, I was able to leave that apartment and instead of 
looking at it as something that's, you know, like a thorn in me or something that's dragging me down, use it as armor and take it with you to make you stronger. So that happened in uh, early, early October of that year. So, you know, there was a bit of a period where, you know, you need to decompress a bit. There were no tournaments or nothing that was going on because WCOOP just ended. There was nothing really for the next month and a half. So I wind up in, um, I think it was the first Triton that I ever played in Manila. Um, I don't remember the year, 2016 it must have been. Yeah, 2016 it was. And I flew over to Manila. I actually flew the night of my birthday. I spent my birthday November 1st uh, with my family in New York. My flight was on November 2nd at two in the morning from New York to go to Manila. I got there, I wound up getting second place in the main event there. But um, so not many people really knew what had happened to me because I kind of keep to myself like in poker. I don't broadcast like um, myself or things that are going on much. So most people don't really have an idea about me. They might think that they do, but unless if they've listened to like my way of thinking in this podcast, they probably are way off. So I'm hanging out with one of two friends that knows about what happened. And in Manila, he just looks at me and he says, he's just like, he pounds me and he says, you know, uh, if you would have asked me, I would have been sure that you come here, you start complaining about this and that. And in this like type of mood, it's like, as soon as I saw you when you got here, you just had like kill in your eyes. Like you just had focus. I didn't hear a single word about, you know, this bad thing that happened to me. So I think that uh, people recreate uh, trauma or difficult scenarios that they go through into their present moment, and it kind of haunts their whole existence. And unless if you really, you know, if you're on this journey that you trying to be the best version of yourself, hoping for, you know, great things in whichever way you want them, it's gonna you're going to have to have like, you know, that strength, that armor to make it through the tough times. And if you just, you know, a lot, I would say a lot of people give their power away, claiming to be a victim of life instead of grasping their own power that exists in life. And if you go that route and blame your environment, you blame people, you blame luck for the reason why you're not at the place that you want to, you're going to have no, there's no chance that you're actually going to get there. But if you can just hone it all, accept that you're going to continuously make mistakes, you know, not let them drown you, but allow them to enable your growth into a better version of yourself, then you can, uh, you can probably go on this road. There's a level of acceptance there, which is fascinating. And I wonder for you, is this been something that you've throughout your life been good at where things go badly, you've been able to just go, okay, this is it, can't change it and move on quickly. And then you've been able to transition that to poker, or is it something that you picked up during the swings, during the downswings? Cause the way you described it there sounds perfect. Just 
put it to bed, leave the room and go, right, the million's done, on to the next thing, and try to be as present in the moment. However, for most people who try that, they will hold on to the story. They'll hold on to the baggage. They'll take that negative energy from what's just happened, the victim mode that you talked about, and they'll try to forget about it, but they can't really accept what just happened because it feels unfair to them. But for you, it just feels like you're able to just go back into the moment as your friend noticed in you, you have the killer mode in your eye. Have you always been able to accept when things go bad in life? Um, I think that it's because I, I don't really see it as going bad because I've been so blessed always. Like even I have like this root of myself that is just kind of always been happy with life, with how things are. I feel like I have like, you know, no trauma or difficult things that happened as a childhood. So I see like the difficulties that I go through, I see them as softer than like, you know, some difficulties that some people go through and i think then what i what like popped up was um you know like life giving you what you what you can manage uh so i think that from a young age like my whole reality was very intense uh like i come from a, uh, amazing upbringing but there's five of us i'm the oldest and my parents and i would say that everyone's very a very unique and intense individual and we all grew up in a small space so things were even though there was lots of love around there was intensity so it's like my i was um or like i um i came in contact with intensity at like early age and i didn't shy away from it i accepted it where if i said you know this is too intense life wouldn't really be able to continue like that ladder of intensity. So I feel like because I accepted intensity was focused on growth, even through that storm life, as it progressed, knew that I could take higher and higher levels of intensity. So it's like, since I, you know, accepted it's, um, was it choose your own adventure? My adventure is like the intense adventure for sure. Even, even something like when I was in high school, um, I was not well liked by the other guys in the school. And it was really nothing other than I dress differently than they did. And I was confident in myself and just comes to the, you know, people hate what they don't understand. So I feel like no, it's a whole different experience for everyone. I feel like I get a bit of that. I've always gotten a bit of that, you know, from high school, from, you know, being the top of anything with having confidence that some people would, you know, look at confidence and say, well, why does this person deserve to have confidence when I'm sitting here, like feeling terrible about myself? But at the same time, you know, if you want to change your reality, you know, you should, you, you want to actually focus on, okay, well, what can I learn from this person instead of, okay, I want to try to bring them down with me. That's why you see people who are winners in life. They don't badmouth other people, real people who are confident and are confident in themselves and they don't focus or really you learn not to care what other people think about you. So then that's like, then there's a whole different level of that. So I had that as a child where you know, I was just confident in the way that I was myself, that even though these people were projecting this other feeling towards me, I, I let's say, created uh, something that I didn't let it get to me. So I was able to 
you know, manage that well. And then just in the same way you progress in levels. So it's like, uh, then that was the point of, you know, people saying something to your face, maybe talking behind your back, then because I progressed through that level. And I guess for whatever humbling reasons that it needed to happen and that it was meant to happen. It's like, then when I went through, when I went through that time where Martin just blasted me on the internet, that's like a whole new level of that same type of story where you know here can you now it's a whole different picture you know before it was in your high school hall rooms it was people in this small circle that knew you it was people in some small community now like the whole world who has really no idea about you because you don't really talk much and keep to yourselves now this new picture has been put out, which in my opinion, couldn't be farther from like the picture of reality, but then you have to go through this period also where, you know, you're at like a higher level of this difficult game that you're in. And, you know, it's, you can't say it's anything other than shit, you know, the, the things that, because for me, okay, to go for, to be someone that existed in negative bank roles there has to be a reason that you're able to get into negative bank roles. My whole reason that I was able to, to get credit, to stay in action when I didn't have money is because people trusted me, trusted my integrity, knew if I won that I would pay them instantly. I might've made them money like playing or them buying a piece of me in something. And it was able, that was like how I could maneuver my credit line. My whole existence always from poker has been, okay, the most important thing is your integrity and your word and staying like true to them, not just because where it's going to get you there. These are the things that were just really always important to me. I think I, I really self-examine myself a lot. You know, sometimes your warp speed into some way that you don't really see it for like a little bit, but really try to be introspective and at the same time, uh, willing to take constructive criticism from the people around you. So you know, now I'm in this spot where the things that I deem the most valuable and held myself the most accountable to, now I'm being run through the mud that I'm this other person. And because a lot of people like to equate or like to imagine that the reason why someone had success is because they were taking advantage or they had some, they were cheating or doing this and the other, which then the crazy thing comes is even though the allegations that he said against me there had nothing to do with myself playing and any of the money that I actually won from poker, it branded that, okay, now it's, you know, Bryn Kenny, the, the cheater and alleged cheater is everything that I heard every time that it came on. And it doesn't matter if, you know, it came from one source and you dealt with a thousand people in your life. And, you know, if you grilled tons of successful poker players, they'd say that I ran an above board ship for my whole life and never asked anyone to do anything, but then it doesn't matter really. You know, all of this, it really doesn't matter because it all just like crashed on you. So now like to explain yourself and to try to prove yourself innocent is really you know, something you're like fighting with the wall against. So it's like, okay, well, how can I just like, even though it's something that's difficult to accept, how can I accept that this happened? Reality is different than it was yesterday. And what can I take from this experience and learn from it? And like, because 
my whole mindset has well the way i see it is you learn the most in your most difficult times and i always saw it that way in poker so it's like okay can i take those lessons in poker now and kind of translate into life and accept now it's like the higher level of also it's like all of those things interjecting at the same time like the level that you're at of acceptance of what's happened the level that you're at of you know being of people talking about you all of these different like levels that you've reached the point that it could hit here somehow hits for a reason for i would say for a humbling experience for you to be able to because i would say what it what it then does is since the real truth of things is you can focus on yourself you can't really focus on anyone else and if you focus on yourself and you prove the person you are that's you know you you don't live to the standards of what anyone can see so then it's like but can you live this same type of way when it's all you know firestorm around you and that's like another it's, it's like another thing it's um it's difficult you know i wouldn't i wouldn't wish it on anyone at the same time i wished it on myself i guess while you know asking for this like rocky not rocky road but different road that makes it to somewhere that has much more challenges but amazing wow it's so so interesting listening to you speak it's uh so inspiring to hear how you navigate life and how you deal with adversity. Yeah, so fascinating how you uh, are able to use adversity to, as you mentioned, armor up. And it's all on this big quest, just become a better version of yourself and playing this leveling game, which, yeah, I think is super fascinating. Well, it's like life's a video game, right? So it's just like, you know, and why not be the... And I, I think I fail so much. I guess that's too why, like, life is also always humbling, even for the people that are trying the hardest, because... When you're in in the moment, you see things in like this vacuum almost that it's not till you can pull yourself out of it that you really see yourself and see the way that you are. Yeah. It's, yeah, the bigger picture, yeah, of, of what it's all for. And yeah, I, I love how you mentioned as well, like everything happens for a reason and life's hitting you at the point you're at to give you a test that will either humble you or you'll learn from and it's exactly what's supposed to happen at this moment. There's no avoiding it. This is it. And it's pass yeah. or fail. And you either move on to the next level or you stay where you are. And as you mentioned with your kind of journey, these kind of why am I keep going negative a million? There was lessons that were happening during that that allowed you wanted to deal with it, to learn from it. But it was a kind of something you had to learn from to, to go to the next level. So you didn't return back to that that point. For sure. And then I don't want to get into it too much right now, but then there's like a whole nother thing of I see something of where I want to be in the future. So all of the things in the past are for a greater good in my mind. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, because I have this, and then, then to like throw in the same, since I have this experience that if I see something, I can turn it into reality. You know, everyone has a different experience. My experience is that you know, anyone can say whatever they want about that, but you know, I saw it in magic. I made it reality. I saw it in poker. I made it reality. So for me, it's like, that's just really truth. So if I can see something down the road, even if it's something that's so big, I've harbored like that belief from the experience that I have that nothing really is too big. And now it's just a new road that life put you on that has 
all of these different twists and turns to see if you can hold on to the ride and until where it goes. Love it. And like all that is, then it's like the fuel too. That's like the fuel to get you there. Since like that end for me personally equates to helping as many people doing as much good as possible then that means that if I give up, no matter how difficult the situation that I'm in right now, that means my real dream and goal of this life is impossible. And then why did I do everything that I've done to get to here to give up? So powerful. Yeah, I love that. See, that was amazing. I listened to you speak about your journey and it reminds me of the hero's journey. I'm sure you're familiar with that concept. And for you, uh, the journey is quite clear to get to the top of the mountain and be like the number one player in the world. And for you, it's about leveling up your character to, to get to that end point. And I think it's really fascinating, as you've mentioned, that every time you're at a certain level, life challenges you. Life challenges you to grow, to get better, and you've got to improve to almost like pass that level to get to the next one. It's like the video game analogy of leveling up your character. And for you, I think what's been very interesting to listen to is how much you were aware, or you even not aware now, but as the journey's unfolding, you were aware there's a bigger journey going on. There's a bigger mountain I'm climbing, and this is all part of the bigger picture. I, th I think people really struggle with this because they get so absorbed in what is happening now and the current moment, the mood of the current moment, the intensity of the moment becomes the narrative for the bigger picture. But for you, it seems that like you can always zoom out and detach and see where you're trying to get to long-term. So what allows you in the heat of the moment to detach from it a little bit and to see the bigger picture. You mentioned as your your childhood, you, you were around intensity a lot. So you got used to being around intensity, but it seems like this, ability to have a wider perspective and to see this as part of the path is has been strong for you. So how have you been able to develop that? Or has this been a natural trait of yours? No, it's just like anything. It really had to develop like over time. And I guess let's let's go through another uh, mushroom experience that I had uh, on the beach in Miami. So uh, this time I was just like having a good time. And the thing that that came to me was that my life was three parts of like a whole, let's say three different shells that phase one of my life was me as a poker player. Phase two of my life was me as a businessman. And phase three of my life is me, let's say charity man or giving back. Like, uh, so everything that I do, every part of this, like intense experience, it's like, like you really said, it's like towards climbing that mountain that's in the background that even though, you know, you, others might not see it or imagine that it's there and only see what's like in your present right now. It's like everything in my present, the way that I see it is part of that, like future of the way that I see it. And it's like that road that I'm on that I asked for. So, you know, what's, I guess, you know, since, since I've had crazy dreams before, you know, the way really my dream is to run the biggest charity in the world. And one that's like really a version of a charity that has, you know, probably people that are poker minded towards like the, let's call it the board of that company. The ones who, let's say, hold resources and are tasked to do as much good as they possibly can with the resources that they hold. So, you know, a lot of, uh, unfortunately, the way charity exists now, like you guys know, I'm sure, is it's a lot of big corporations that pay a lot of people and a lot of the money that 
is collected by them doesn't actually make it to the people that are in need and that need help. So I kind of see it as, okay, you know, poker, that's like the first part and I'm, I need to take the skill. So there's a reason that life put me as a poker player as that first part of the journey to learn the skills and to translate those skills from poker to business to life to then make it to, so then it was really another humble insanely humbling experience you know of transitioning from myself as a poker player to a businessman because there I am at the top of this mountain in poker now I jump into business I have no idea about business you know the only reason I really could even imagine doing it is that I'm just incredibly determined and I don't look at things on paper and say okay well what do I have today and is it even possible that I could take what I have today into what I want so you know if we if we start like the the journey of me creating for poker it wasn't called for poker in the beginning but so what wound up happening is in 2018 uh, I meet with the guys at GG Poker and my first interest was that I wanted to open a skin on their network. I thought that they had good software and I thought that there was a big hole in the industry. I was telling people prior to that that I thought it was very ripe to make a great poker product that you could challenge the people that were in the space. At that point, Poker Stars really wasn't doing anything. It was kind of taking candy from a baby, scaling up like that GG like uh, offering from when I started. So I didn't open a skin because I need, I would have needed to run customer support payments, get a license. And at that time I was in my mind, one step away from number one all time. And the only thing that I thought about was to be number one all time. But what wound up happening from that is a few months later, uh, they offered me just to be the, the face of the company. Uh, I accepted it just thinking that I would get paid a decent amount of money to represent them. I liked their software. I liked what they were talking about, what they, the way they thought about poker and growing it. Actually, in those early days, when I started, their biggest tournament was a $500 tournament with a 10K guarantee. I really, uh, I architected their whole, um, maybe not low stakes offering, but any offering from $100 up, I architected really the whole schedule. I scaled the guarantees. I got the whole community to sign up. So I get to this point where um, I have, I don't it may, maybe it wasn't the biggest, but I'm pretty sure it was the biggest agency in the world. Like uh, now I'm, I was just wound up, become, I never thought of myself that I would become an agent, but I wound up becoming an agent for GG. I think I built it. Uh, there might be some guys who built something bigger than me, but it's with like a whole train of sub agents. So you know, they might have built something that has 40 sub agents and there's 100 agents like in their scheme that maybe equals out to bigger than what I built myself. But I'm very sure that no one built something like as one agent the size of what I built. So at that time, uh, I had a friend in Dubai who um, I thought knew a lot about software development and he was seeing uh, what I was doing with that. And he just said, wow, you know, you need to build your own. So, you know, the crazy person that I am, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know. How hard could that be? Uh, even even though I had some people telling me, you know, you're crazy for like uh, doing this, how hard it is, is, is crazy. So the way that it started was with this one friend and he was going to hire a team of developers in India and they were going to build me this game that I wanted. Um, a year into that, I found out that this person that I thought was my friend was really just 
make like uh making up stories pretending like he was putting x amount of time into the project like i would then connect with the team over there and he just wasn't so i wind up in this spot i have to break free of him i know nothing about business i know nothing about technology i all i know is about poker so i have to break through this person but at the same time i connect with someone else at a at a poker table who kind of has the same experience Whereas if I would have, if I would have not met this other person, I would have had to just shut down what I had because I had no idea how to build anything, how to manage a team. So I was able to actually bring this guy along, bring in, some, he was actually closing down his business and I brought him in and his company. And there was, there were so many different points of I wouldn't say highs and lows. It was like different points of lows and lows. It was like, it went from low to lower, to lower, to lower, to lower, where I'm like this lunatic who's just carrying this thing on his back, has no idea like where he's going, doesn't have anywhere close to the necessary resources to like actually make it to a point that could build, that anyone could do anything or build something of like the level that you're imagining. So, cause then it comes down to the other point. If you look on paper of what existed then, and you look on paper today of what exists today, you would say that it's impossible to get from A to B or uh, not A to, let's call it A to Z because there were a whole different of letters that hit along like that road of different people and things that had to be shut down, moved out, fire this guy, like, be, and then it's tough too because you build these relationships with people in business also and then next thing you know you kind of have to like let them go and before you know you were buddies hanging out and now you're this young kid who's like letting go of people who have been in business for 20 30 years and that's another like tough thing on on them so it's like if I would have looked at it on paper, I would have shut it down a million times all over. Somehow I made it to a point where I didn't have a single strong, I, I started at a point where I didn't have a single, like, let's say very strong poker developer that was on my team. And somehow I was able to make it to the point now where I would say if you did a, a survey of the best engineers that ever existed at Poker Stars, I've got like eight of the, let's not be too cocky. I've got at least five of the best, like 10, maybe eight of the best 10 that have ever been there. Fortunate, like all really came from the person who was the leader of that engineering team at the time and him believing in the project and having just enough really pieces together that made it attractive enough for him and then to bring the people in that he respected and also that respected him. So it's like um, all of these like impossible things happening that just somehow happen at these inflection points where it's like, okay, well, you know, I just have to believe because there's nothing else that I could do that the right person is going to walk through this door tomorrow, next week, next month to be able to pick up the pieces that we have, rearrange them a bit, put them at a better point and move it forward like to the next place. So it's been, so, it's been really a humbling experience, especially to go from, you know, I had in my mind and I don't know why I would think this, but because I had this like crazy, like tumultuous journey up that mountain for poker, I was like, okay, you know, everything should be a bit more calm. It's like, ah, you know, thought too quick kid. 
you know, I thought this was tough. Let's move you into like this place because, you know, in your old place before, you know, if you were in a tough point, it was only you and yourself and as a poker player and you didn't have all these hanging things like around. Now you start a business, you have 50 people, 100 people working for you. Every single one of those people rely on you their families rely on you so it's like then taking that same thing of the not give up mentality not letting the things like drag you down no matter like how tough the storm is and just like keep moving forward when you can and it's just i think it's just a belief of our of our ability to make magic happen but at the same time we can't determine like when something's supposed to happen. We can imagine like a dream, set ourselves out on the path, the way that that's going to unfold, you have no way. So, and then I guess the other thing that I come back to is you can think that things are difficult in a moment, but you have to also remember that you can only see a very small bit of the picture that's unfolding and the story that you're in. So the story that you're in, if you believe everything is for your greater good, these difficult times are actually necessary to get you forward. So like you actually, if you don't accept them, then, you know, why did you, why did you ask for this difficult thing to, to re, like this difficult mountain to climb if you thought it was going to be, you know, an easy one that you could sit down all along the way. This is so powerful for anyone listening. And I think for yourself, like it's so clear that you've dreamed big and you set this dream as like the goal destination to go for and you just stay the course you stay the path and you don't know how it's going to unfold and obviously the harder it gets the more you're like well this is just toughening me up you, you mentioned armoring up a few times of get me stronger this is exactly what i need i've got a question of do you ever doubt the dream do you ever think wait a second maybe the dream i had for some of the poker sites maybe that was just a bit too far out maybe that wasn't the path for me and i can keep going and not get there was there any, any doubt or do you ever have doubts with the the big destinations that you set for yourself i think like well it's interesting because in the beginning when i really didn't like map this out i just went with the belief that it could happen and that it was possible i couldn't have any doubt i didn't have any understanding even of what it meant to run a business to build like software, I was just like jumping straight in fresh as like a, a newcomer. Then also, the other thing to like include in that is there are all there are always going to be times that you that the idea not even that you think that, but all these ideas always come up in your head. Some of them you grasp, some of them you don't, because so, some like you relate to, and some you know, are just like ah, you know, that's not for me to think. But then if you really believe that everything happens for a reason, when you wind up in a situation where things are very tough, you have to just like surrender to what's supposed to be. So like life kind of not like makes you like ask for mercy almost. But um, so, so where I was going with that was like, um, you have to get to the place like that you surrender really. So things are so tough. Like you have to just surrender with like, what is, so there were definitely points through it where it was like, well, you know, since you have to, you, you accept everything that is, you know, if this doesn't work, then it's not meant to work. And even though that you saw it and you felt it and believed it, you know, it's, Maybe you were wrong this time. And it's like, okay, well, I guess that's another humbling part of like life. Maybe 
you know, it's not always like that, that, you know, what you see, you can actually create. And, you know, maybe you have to accept that some is bigger than you or wasn't necessarily meant to be there at like the time. So it's like a mix of belief because then it's weird too, because it's like the belief and the surrender is almost opposite, but almost intertwined completely. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. And I think people often struggle with the word surrender because it seems passive or even acceptance because it seems like it's passive. But I think for yourself, it's very obvious that you're surrendering the how it's going to happen. You're surrendering when it's going to happen. You're surrendering the destination of what's going to how it's going to unfold. But the vision, the belief is right there. So you're surrendering the path. You're like, life, take me away. I'm going to go whatever way. I think I think you're taking me there. I think that's the destination. Maybe you've got a different path and we end up somewhere else, but I surrender it all. And at the same time, it's also you show up daily. I think as well, this is a, another part where people miss the part of the equation where surrender doesn't mean you just leave everything to chance. You've got to show up in the melting pot every day and put the work in that's needed to just that next step. As you mentioned, you don't even know what it is sometimes, but being in the fire of the moments and just move, trying to move forward, trying to move the situation forward. And this brings me to uh, another skill of yours, which we haven't went into yet, the skill of being present. And I think in these scenarios, especially uh, when the sky has fallen, so to speak, it's very hard to be present because life pulls on you. There's lots of emergencies. I think poker players listening uh, on a downswing, you're losing a large part of your role. You want to stay present in the moment, but life is kind of compounded on you a little bit. So for you, I'm curious to know how you stay present in the moments when life is unfolding in a, a way that's not to your liking, let's call it, not, not in a bad way. So let's say you're on one of your massive swings or building the poker site and you then have to be present of super high role tournaments, but there's things generally on, on your mind or situations on, unfold on you. How do you be present when life is chaotic? Well, I think one thing too, that's interesting is sometimes, you know, you, if you hold yourself to this, like, um, this, that you're supposed to be present and at your best all the time, you're guaranteed to fail. I think sometimes along that journey, you know, you're going to wake up in days where you have really nothing, you have no energy, you have really no ability to do anything at that time. And it's just like surviving is what you need to do. So it's like sometimes like when you're going through the mud, you really just have to survive. Sometimes try to grasp as any type of fun or laughter that you can bring into it, but also just like except that it's going to be draining sometimes and sometimes you're not going to want to get out of bed and you don't have to say you know I have to be my best every day because you can't be your best every day but at the same time I always I think call on myself to rise to like rise to the moment that we're in which means like yeah just no matter what like you're given you just do the best that you can like in that time you just get through it uh sometimes really well sometimes you know you might have to be dragged through the floor just to get through it and it's like that humbling experience of it all too is where it's like if you think you know it's going to go this certain way it's just not you know life will probably even like laugh at you just because you think it's going to go this certain way it's going to push you somewhere else just to okay yeah you know you thought you knew but Sorry, kid. Um, and then I think that it's just like, I get to the place that we're like, this is the one, whatever else that exists, you know, after life, pre-life, like 
the one thing that we know is that we're in this life right now and the opportunity that we have is right here and that's all that's really for sure anything else you know unless if you see it feel it maybe maybe it is maybe it isn't but this is what you have so it's like uh, i think that same part of using your power in your favor instead of what and it's like power it's words you know if you're using words to talk bad about yourself to be negative it's really just going to drain you and at the same time if you have people around you that are being negative like it's going to be very hard to uh, step up to the next level because unfortunately a lot of those people are trying to drag you down with them and make you feel the way that they feel so it's not, I don't know if tough is the right word. It's extreme because, you know, like many people say, the road to the top is a lonely one. And, you know, I think that it's, that's true because especially in this time, people like to use crutches or medications or something that's going to fix them instead of working on fixing themselves. So, if you're really dedicated to this life of life of growth, because, you know, when, when we say, you know, going the ladder for me, the ladder has nothing to do with how much money you have. The ladder is of personal growth. Uh, and, you know, you can highlight a place like Bali, you go to Bali, there's tons of people who are happy and smiling and you would look at them in another context and say that, you know, that they are poor and have nothing. But then I would ask, you know, who has nothing, the person who's, happy with nothing or the person who's miserable with everything and you know not too many people really reflect on the important things of of life and of like what makes you happy in life you know so many people take that happiness out of the equation and they'll even use those external things like oh I'll be happy when I have a certain amount of money when I own a certain house when I have a certain car but that's just like something set to fail, like you're guaranteed to fail because everything you're doing now is contributing to unhappiness. It's driving people away from you. It's not having real substance in your life. And it's like one of these people that I really like, he says, um, if you're content with food, shelter and companionship, you tread lightly on this world and quickly get to a place that you wanna give something in return. And I think for, you know, people, and that's like another part of, you know, people see me, they see, you know, that I've eaten at expensive restaurants, stayed at five-star hotels, like lived on private, or like not lived, but flown on like private jet, lived like an extravagant lifestyle. But at the same time, you know, I, I can be very happy with, the happiest that I am is when I'm just with people that I like laughing. I don't, no, and it's 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 like that truth of the food shelter companionship and you look at a person like people in bali those are the important things to them food shelter and companionship you know maybe their shelter is not the way not what you want but they have people to share it with like and love all around them mm -hmm. and it's like in this fast-paced western life everyone's looking for a quick fix and thinking that they can almost buy anything where you know the it's like what is like the the best things in life are free which really couldn't be more true you know the material things that you have they mean nothing to you if you don't have anyone to share them with you see the most unhappy people with the most things 
And that, you know, what have, what have those people been focused on? They've been focused on attaining things to bring happiness. And it, it's almost a guaranteed failure, you know, bring happiness to bring happiness. You know, what can you do to smile in the morning? You know, what can, who are the people that inspire you to be better? Who are the people that you feel great when you're around them? Like, um, and we spend so little time thinking of these most important things that really exist in our existence and we're just all pulled towards, it's like the consumerism life. We're all pulled towards these shiny things that have no substance. Yeah, and it's like we lose track of the bigger game and the bigger game is always to be happy. It's always some form of living in the moment, experiencing joy. And we get sold on the illusion or the fantasy that we need to do stuff to get to a point and then we'll enjoy the happiness after. It's almost like the, I need to earn my happiness. I need to battle, get my kind of uh, armor, my stripes, my success, my accolades, and then I'll be happy because I've earned my happiness. Not thinking that happiness needs to be the starting point. Now, I'm really curious to know um, when this shift happened for you, because I'm imagining someone very ambitious, working really hard, almost obsessed with poker, trying to climb the, the mountain to uh, be the number one earner in the history of poker. And it seems like at some point, I'm not sure when it was, on this journey, you had an infraction point or a, a new way of thinking about life in maybe more holistic way where the bigger picture started becoming more and more important. So uh, can you picture when that time was for you and what changed when you started to think about maybe your overall happiness, your overall lifestyle, rather than just having success in poker? Okay, so it was... Um... It was the summer of 2018. So in 2007, so uh, we touched before on like that, diff the, that difficult time I went through in 2016. We didn't really touch that uh, in 2017 after that tournament that I was in, in, um, in Manila for Triton. I had the biggest winning year of anyone in the world in 2017. I, I cashed for like 8.5 million and really didn't play many tournaments. I had my biggest cash then. I won 100K in Monaco for 3 million or something there and just really did well that whole year. Uh, so, but that mostly just got me out of the hole that I was in. So then um, towards the middle of 2018, I just got like even with the person who that was the business deal with and as soon as I could, I said, you know, I'm done with you. I want nothing to do with you ever again. Uh, I got away from that person, shifted into getting a a new a staking deal with someone else, uh, someone who actually had no interest in staking, but they were playing a lot at the time and said that they thought that I was the best in the world. So there was no way that they couldn't stake me in their mind. Um, then in 2018, I was having a losing year. Um, and it comes to the summer the summertime of 2018. And uh, I met my now girlfriend then. And we, so I actually, I was in Vegas at that time, but I planned that I was going to leave Vegas and go do something else. But we just connected and we were hanging out every day, eating lots of mushrooms. And you know, that's when I started to shift, but at the same time, I was very sure about what I was sure about because through my experience, like uh, what worked for me, like was like in my perspective worked so far. So 
to get me to even pull out of that, I would say that she is uh, very patient uh, to, and I don't think that there are many people that could have actually, uh, like, in the, I don't think that there are many people in the world that have like the skill set and composure that could actually help me navigate um, where I was to where I am right now and started little by little um, making me more aware of breathing and what I was eating and getting some exercise like throughout my day and you know hey this is the way that people see you because you said things like this is this how you want to actually be it's like oh man like whole like so and then it's like the whole other thing so this experience not that it was like ego white but at the same time when you reach like this high point of yourself and you're so sure of these things it's really it's hard as, as especially the first time it's hard to just you know wipe that away and say okay well we're let's take the these this still exists but let's you know what exists here let's put the pieces down and try to recreate it like back to the person that I want to be it's a, a whole like um, I would say that was like the beginning of like that hero's journey and dropping of like the ego that I created that I believe was probably necessary for me as a poker player, but not necessary for me as a person. Whereas like in my poker experience, if I didn't have that complete confidence playing at the highest level, pretty much myself against all these other groups, I don't think that I could have reached the top. But then at the same time, as you then transition to a different phase or person of yourself, you know, maybe what was serving you before isn't necessarily serving you in the way that you want to be or be seen like by others. So I think that, and it's interesting too, that you said uh, hero's journey. And one of my good friends, uh, that's actually, that's how she described my last year said, you know, you have all this power, you know, you were on this track that was very intense, you know, it could have went. And I think when she met me, she, so this person, she, she's a very uh, gifted person. She said that when she met me, she was actually uh, scared because she saw the amount of like power and intensity that I had and saw that it could go in either direction. Let's say me as a tyrant or me as like a healer, the one that I really want to be and like relate to. It's like someone who helps others. So it's like this ego and this, idea of myself had to really be wiped through the floor and that's like uh it's like that synchronicity when you said it i'm like you know it must be true you know where does he come up with like hero's journey that she's the only one that said it to me and i'm like okay well you know you've got this uh, you you have this other you know close friend who's a numerologist and when she gave you the report of 2023 she says this was your year of intense growth so it's like okay, well, so, you know, whatever, all of this, you know, intensity that, you know, you might not ask for, that's what's in your, your cards, your stars, like for whatever reason. So it's like, you know, do you want to accept that or do you want to fight it? And if you fight it, you know, you can't change, grow with the times and you'll be stuck as you, as the way that you were. So it's like, um, I see myself like always, um, even uh, the, the tough thing, I guess, is when you're on like that thing of growth, you'll listen to a like a conversation, a podcast that you had a few months ago. And you're like, who is that person? You know, why did why did they say this? Like, 
what are you talking? You're like embarrassed for yourself. It's like a lot of times I actually don't like watch them. I think this is a very good one. I think this might be the first time or one of the first times that I could look at it maybe in six months and say, okay, you know, you were, you were speaking well, you know, clear, you know, you, you said what you wanted to say. And I think that's all like the growth of it too. It's all like, it's all a humbling experience, you know, and then it's also difficult because since a lot of people, or, I mean, I don't think that there are many people in the world that are in like this intense growth cooker that I've kind of been in. So they don't really, they couldn't understand this experience because it's like, uh, it's not for them or it's like, it's not the, like the path that they've been on like for life. So you kind of have to accept that, you know, what you have is unique to you and all that you can do is keep trusting like your instinct that's been working for you so far and, Know, keep like giving the best that you possibly can and even though these things are tough to navigate through they were there for you and they're there for you for a reason and try yeah. to take it with a smile I couldn't say that I'm you know to, you know I'll be I'll be completely honest because that's what I like I don't I don't want to give anything else and say that you know, even when you make it to like a high place of yourself, you know, your yourself is still just going to be destroyed in this like place of growth. So it's like, I feel like these last two years have been, or like, I would say two and a half years for me have been like the toughest, most intense, like uh, time of my life. But then you could actually look at it in another way where if you then say, okay, well, all of the huge transformation that I've had was in these most difficult times in my life, I must be on the right track if I'm now in the most intense time of my life. Yeah, so much to dive into there. It's almost like life's leading to growth and all the challenges you go through leads you to grow. You mentioned also almost like the death of the ego and like being reborn in different parts of yourself. And I think it's when you're on the growth path and like a fast growth path, as you mentioned, you can look back on yourself months ago, like half a year ago and be like, who is, this, who is this guy? What was he doing? And that's a good sign. That's a good sign you're moving forward. And I think people struggle with that because they create such a fixed identity, such a, a strong narrative. They'll say something two years ago and they want to stay consistent with that over and over. And the people around them often expect them to stay consistent as well, which stunts their growth. That's a, that's, a per, that's a perfect point right there. And that's like the even more difficult thing about it because like as a lot of people exist like in a confined box, they see you as you were, not as you are. So even though you're going through this like intense growth, people are going to see you as your old self. And almost life is going to try to drag you back to your old self. It's just like that belief that you're on like the right track of whatever noise that you listen to, like in the sky or whatever you know, tells you the way that you are, because it's like that if you don't have that insane confidence in yourself, I think in the world that we live in, you're going to be dragged down at some point when you're, when you climb like on that mountain. So it's like, you have to harbor. That's why life wouldn't give it to you unless if you uh, have like learned and harbored these skills that you need for that journey. It's like, you know, life wouldn't be so cruel to put you on a mountain that you couldn't actually climb you might not like how you're going to climb there, but if life gives you it, that means that you can handle it. Mm, yeah, I love that. So I want to just quickly piece together that kind of period of your career and your kind of growth. So you mentioned that kind of summer 2018 was very pivotal and you started to look at your lifestyle more, 
breathing, diet, everything around your overall, how you felt about yourself. And then I think 2019 was, I think it's still one of the best years, if not the best year ever in terms of profits and poker. No one will ever, be, no one will ever beat that year. I think it's almost impossible because it has like the 20 mil cash that'll probably never happen again. And then even if that happens again, someone would have to win that tournament and cash for over 10 million apart from that tournament in the year. Yeah, it's like, you know, they, they say that no records are unbroken, but unless if they start with bigger buy-ins than a million dollar buy-in regularly, this is going to be an impossible one really for anyone to beat. But yeah, since we, since it like jumped ahead, I'll give a bit of that story then too, because, okay, so I have an amazing time like that summer, like uh, I'd say my mind like opens a lot more, but Throughout the rest of that year, I couldn't really, I couldn't win. It was, I th I'm pretty sure it was the only losing year that I ever had in my career. So now I have this new stake deal with someone and I was in, well, the buy-ins were so big. So I was in three and a half million in makeup, but I was playing 250K buy-ins, like 100K rebuy tournaments. So it's not really out of the norm to get in like that much makeup. So at the end of that year, actually, um, the person who was staking me says like, hey, you know, I think the number is too big. I'm willing to just like uh, wipe it clean and start from zero again. But in like that integrity that I have myself, one thing that I always said, and that's how, like life's interesting how it tests you. So one thing that I always said that was that I would never intentionally make a bad deal for anyone. So as soon as he's saying these words to me, that's what's ringing in my head. Like, wait, wait, if you, if you like accept this thing, that means that this deal was horrible because if adversity happens, you accept like that it's too big for you. And, you know, it's also someone who had a ton of money. So, you know, you could easily be sitting in my shoes like, oh, you know, this three and a half million means nothing to this person. Like, and it means a whole lot to me. I'm like, no, no, no. what matters to me is the deals that I make. And the word that like I give and when we made a deal for a high stakes like stake, there was nothing in there that if it hits negative 3.5, you're going to like just call it even. So I said to them, I said, don't worry, I'm going to be number one in the world again next year. And then just somehow that's exactly what happened. Wow. Yeah, and that's amazing. And as you mentioned a few times, integrity being one of your core values and core character traits that allows you to make these decisions. And I'm curious to know, like during this point, so you were 3.5 million in makeup and you're still playing these really super high rollers. Did you have a kind of limit in your own mind, like how deep you could go before it affected you mentally? Do you feel calm through this process? And yeah, tell me for like how you were managing that. I, I would say I was really calm just because I was... I was having fun in life still. I was having like some type of balance. And even in 2019, it's not like I was hammering every tournament. I was playing tournaments that I wanted to play. So it's like started the year Aussie Millions. I loved going there. So it was just like I was having fun. I remember, you know, I was along like, I don't know if you guys have ever been like uh, there at the casino, but there's a nice like, um, like river and walkway. I was just hanging out and walking that every day, eating healthy. I was smiling. I was in the most negative that I've ever been in my life, but I was happy. And it actually, you know, because um, the person who was taking me since I was in like that spot, they would loan me like some life money too. So I wasn't, in, I was in a spot still that I could still do the same things that made me happy and didn't need you know, money to validate like who I was. So I was able to, you know, win lots, keep none of the money, but be very positive for it and like the direction that I was going in. And 
I really didn't, I really had no doubts like that year. I guess I was so sure that I was going to be number one in the world again, like somehow, even though I just, I'm at the end of my first losing year ever, I'm in the most negative that I've ever been in. I've got a, I owed another, I think half a mil on the side, which means since like you're staked at 50, 50, you need a million to cover that. So I needed to win like four and a half million just before, actually, no, I owed million on the side at that point half and then another half i was at a point where i needed to win five and a half million just to get even so that's like another um well actually so we fast forward so when i was in that london thing the thing that when i was in like that last experience in 2016 in london to get out of that room like staying confident the thing that i accepted is that it might take me three years just to get my head above water but the thing is whatever you just start climbing and do like what you can and somehow as reality has it, you know, I wound up in negative again, but nine months later, I was at from this point that seemed like th it would have been a good three years to get out. And I got out in nine months and then was able to, you know, some pull myself out of it again. And I think that balance and laughter and value for things other than at the poker table allowed me to have fun and enough calmness and creativity to have like that massive year in 2019. I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. Quick reminder, Mechanics of Poker 2.0 coaching program is currently open for enrollment and we've put together the biggest promotion ever. 25% off on the program and three bonuses worth close to 3,000 euros of free value. Enrollment is open for the first couple of weeks of January before we close the program permanently. So don't miss out. Go over to mechanicsofpoker.com. Sign up now and let me and Adam help you achieve your poker goals in 2024. Yeah, I think this will be a great time to uh, go deeper into uh, how you think about risk. So uh, there's almost like two sides of this. One, some, some people be listening going, wow, Bryn is so reckless. He was willing to lose it all. And then he got lucky, spun it up and works out nice. But he could have easily went 10 mil on the hole and his backer and him himself was in a bad situation. But for you, it feels like obviously during this point, you've already built a tolerance for swinging millions. So you're used to that, kept those money. That doesn't scare you, which just feels normal. You're playing super high rollers. So it's in buy-ins, it's not crazy amounts. But I'm wondering how... Uh, you think about risk to reward. I know as poker players, we're constantly, even every pot you're in, there's a risk to reward calculation going on. How do you think about, so for you, we've got the dream of being the number one player in the world, but the, the negative side of that, the risk is, I go 10 million, 20 million into a hole and I can never get out of it. So um, how do you navigate risk and think about the risk to reward? Or do you just have so much confidence over the long term? That you're not really overly concerned yeah I'm, I'm curious to know how you think about i think i think it's that last one that i have so much confidence in the long term but also that i relate it to like that mountain that's in the future that's always present but not present let's say because okay so if my goal is to is to do good in the world you know let's in in the early days of myself that was i'd say the the mindset my goal is to build something that i could do good in the world with so for me, it was like, okay, you have a million dollars. What are you going to do with a million dollars? You can't do anything. You might as well gamble it and try to build up like something bigger. And I've actually seen some poker players talk about it. Uh, I think it was Pads who talked about how you should take lots of risk, like as you're younger, because the value of if things go well is so exponentially higher 
than taking risk like in later stages when things are more like developed. So I think I just innately had like that mindset that because I have this skill in poker and for me, it was always that I, I would, I could always win it back. I've always won it back. I consistently won in poker. Even when I got into these holes, it wasn't from me playing poker. It was from me staking people, me doing bad business deal, me spending too much money in life. Like the norm was that I consistently won. So having that like supreme confidence that even no matter where I find myself in, I can pull myself out of it. And then at the same time, you know, because you have these goals that need much more resources than the ones that you have, it makes sense to gamble heavily with the ones that you have to try to reach the ones that you need. Is so I think it's, I think it's even like a, to be honest, I think it's really a selflessness too. And it comes almost to the detriment sometimes I think of, of like my girlfriend, unfortunately, because it's like having the, it's going to be from anyone who hasn't had this experience, it's a super intense one. And it really, you're willing to risk everything like for this greater belief where most people are so risk tolerant that they're not really they're They couldn't imagine like risking everything. So it's like, then it comes, that's what, even like the, the higher levels, I think that you reach in life, the more intricacies that come with them and the more that life uh, almost demands a higher level of yourself at all times to be able to navigate through like those rough seas. So you said you're willing to risk everything for the belief that you have in that future, that, that mountain that's in the background. And you mentioned also Pad saying that when you're young, taking lots of risk is exponentially worth it because the compounding effects when risks pay off. Is there a point where when you're navigating life, you want to uh, almost recalibrate a bit of your risk tolerance? So if we look at you right now, if you're always willing to put it all on the line, is like the not like an inevitable 30 million down that knocks you from your next points or do you feel like you don't really think about you don't really care about ever losing everything because you can make it back so do you feel like for yourself for your own growth has there been a recalibration of how you take on risk are you still willing to risk it all for the dream if the dream's strong i think that's that's like the yeah that's like the part that life asked me i think in this last bit are you still willing to risk everything for what you believe and I would have to say that I stood up and said, yeah, bring it, give me it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, somehow I would say because it's just like, um, okay, so it's, it's very different though. So I would say for anyone listening, you have to, uh, you can't think of things the same way that I think of things because I have a special like talent and special gift. I think if they ran like a competition in the world of people starting with $1,000 or $10,000 or $100,000 and who over like the long run comes out like with the most bankroll at the end of the year, I think I'd be in the top 0.0001% of the world. So I have this skill that I can turn very little and spin it into something big with like, there's always poker games everywhere. I've I clearly have like the poker skill to win. I've I've won in every version of poker. I've won in heads up and PLO and eight game and 
tournaments, sit and goes, cash games, every single version of po live poker, online poker. I've, you know, I've never, uh, I've never really got lessons from anyone in any game. When I started playing PLO, I just, you know, hopped in and played the first rounds of PLO myself. Never even watched any training videos. I've just, whatever skills that I have, I think that they're perfectly suited for poker. So since I have like this ability, that's very rare, I would say, to spin up nothing into something, I can take these risks that I do. Whereas the same time, if I was giving advice to someone else, I would definitely tell them that they should not take like risks to the same extreme level as me because the value that you always have is the resources that you have. And for most people in the world, it takes a lot of time to grow and scale these resources. And if you lose them, it's very hard to come back from nothing. Uh, poker is like a rare industry that you could do it, that stakes exist, that people will are willing to stake you. you. There aren't many things in the world that you can like go to zero and build something back up again. So it's like, uh, use extreme caution with this and, you know, please don't try this at home. You know, it's not, it's, it, I'm sure that it's not for you. You know, maybe there's a person that's listening that, that this is for them. And they say, you know, exactly the way that I feel is the way that they relate to life. And they want to give everything that they can to be a better person, to help as many people as they possibly can. Then I would say, you know, put it all on the line. You know, but that's also not a, you know, a comfortable ride, you know, except that that's a, a crazy one, except that life's going to give you it. It's like that, um, that saying, be careful, be careful what, what you wish for, because that's what, that's how I see it too. You know, be careful what you wish for, because that's what's coming. Mm -hmm. And it's like, are you sure that you even want what you wish for? And that's, that's where a lot of people kind of miss the boat because they think that they want something, but they actually haven't done the thinking of what that means for their life. Because like everything has positive and negative, it's the yin and the yang of something. So you could say, okay, I want this thing because what I gained from this is so big. But did you think about what you lose from it? You know, maybe it's time, maybe it's relationships. Like there's so much into like that picture. And and that's why it's like, unless if you're, if you're trying to do something, unless if you like self-analyze and are always willing to like go back to the drawing board, life's like going to eat you alive. Yeah. Very interesting. And as you mentioned, the tolerance for risk is very unique to you. And maybe some people relate to that. But I think what is a common thread throughout this conversation is going after the dream and climbing the mountain, your own mountain. Now you set the mountain super high, you were like Mount Everest, top peak. Other people have smaller mountains that are trying to climb, but we're all on our own journey, trying to level up ourselves to get to our destination. Now, what I thought was really interesting is how you spoke about kind of what's gonna make you happy on, on that journey, where you're trying to get to, and most people kind of don't know. And I've been, I've had hundreds of conversations with poker players, and it's been quite surprising for me as I've gone into coaching to realize how many people don't know where they wanna be in life. They haven't chosen their path, and they haven't got that clarity. They say they want more money, they say they want an exit financial, they want more freedom. If you give them freedom, they wouldn't know what to do with it. And they haven't mapped out this vision of where they wanna go, what, they, what life's about. And I always feel like life's a game where we can be anyone we want, character-wise, we can achieve almost anything we want, and we've just got to choose. We've got to choose and stay the course. And it's just very interesting how many people don't choose. For you, I'm not sure if it was a conscious process. It sounds like you have drives internally, things come to you, ideas, thoughts, and it feels strong, and you go with that, and that's just the path to go. Other people have to sit down and actually map out, so kind of think through their thoughts, journal, go on retreats, do things to actually get some clarity. But the main thing is, like, 
going with that kind of vision and having it strong enough that it drives everything else that's going around you. Even when things are pulling on you, whether it's people, whether it's situations, you've got that strong path. Now, I want to circle back around before I forget to uh, what allows you to be successful in every game of poker you play, every format, just jump in. So I'm trying to think what's the common trend or the common themes or traits that allow you to be a big winner. You mentioned you've got skills that are just nail tailor-made for poker. So uh, I'm curious to know what allows you with confidence to jump into a new game, a new format, online, live, high roller, whatever, and be a winner. What, what allows that to happen? Um... I guess it was always like fun for me is the thing. So like magic almost shaped the way into thinking about poker, like a competition and the chips being play chips. And you're just trying to like accumulate chips however you can. So, you know, you're okay then losing chips. You're okay learning. I think the thing that enables me, I believe, to be super successful at it is the willingness to be completely open-minded and not write off anything. So, you know, of course, like when you jump into a game for the first time and you said a bit of this, you know, what will you do? You're gonna look at the other people who are winning in this game and you're gonna try to incorporate some of the moves and thinking that they do inside your own game. So without even realizing it, you know, you might be playing a certain game, you know, you start out playing mixed, let's say, and five years later, you're still playing mixed. You don't uh, consciously realize it, but part of your game is from so many different people and things that they did. So, you know, one move that you make, you don't realize that, you know, maybe you saw John Hennigan do it five years ago and you were like, oh, this move is like sick and I'm going to bring this into my game. And five years later, you know, you wind up in a similar spot like like that. And I think it's kind of similar with life too, where, what is it? Another one of the things in life is you become like um, like a mix of the five people that you're closest to. So I see it all, like I see us as energy. So like ener the me that's here right now, I feel like is all of these different pieces of different people that have like touched my life in different ways of like their way of thinking, their way of being the way that something that maybe they taught me, something that they allowed me to realize in myself. So it's like some of the words that I say even aren't my words. They're like, they're someone else's words that resonate with me. So it's like, um, I think that the thing that I'm very good at is um, being confident, but being open-minded, which, okay, so the way that I see it is, personally, I believe that if you're not open-minded, that you're not, in my terms of intelligent, you know, you might be intelligent on like paper, you might be able to whiz like a test or something, but if you're unwilling to change like the way that you're thinking and the way that you're being, you know, it's in that like, you know, you're going to get swept away with the times. So since I was always confident, but also so willing to reevaluate my thought process and my way of playing, it allowed like this massive creativity that maybe didn't exist for others because they lived in a certain parameter that, you know, this play is either right or wrong. Like it's all on paper. The other variables like don't exist. But for me, it's like all of these other, for personally, all these other variables do exist. Everything's always interchanging. It's all based on completely different scenarios that you might even see two scenarios that I see completely different as, you know, those two look like very similar. 
but I would have a reasoning for why I see them as completely different scenarios. And I think like that open-mindedness has really been the thing that's like propelled me to the top of any game and willingness to like learn from others. So even if, you know, I'm playing, let's say for instance, I'm, you're playing with people in high rollers, you know, some of the things you don't agree with, but the thing is they're also very good, very smart people. So if you then say like, okay, you know, I'm just the best and I'm the best, you have no chance like of actually being the best or staying the best. Maybe you're at the top of the mountain for a small bit, but unless if you're taking parts of the things that other people are learned and things that work for them. So, you know, I think a lot of times, okay, so there are some people in poker that have won for 15 years or something that a lot of other winning players would say, you know, this guy is bad. I would look at it completely different. It's like, what do you mean? This guy is bad. He's been winning consistently. He must be doing multiple things right. Yeah, you might be looking at things in a vacuum and saying this is bad. Maybe it even is bad in his game because everyone has leaks. And I think that I'm good at figuring out where their weaknesses lie and how to exploit those. But at the same time, you need to look at other successful people see what they're doing and put it into your own thinking. So, you know, some, you know, you might, this person, maybe you look at 20 different things that they're thinking that they do, and maybe you think 19 of them are right or wrong, but maybe there's a genius in one of them. And if you discredit that person's skill or ability, then you also discredit that one genius that you can accumulate to your own game. So that open-mindedness, if you don't have, will be your demise. And then it's like also, you know, if someone is closed-minded, they play a fixed certain game. My game is, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna think about how you play and I'm going to build a strategy that's good against your strategy. And then, you know, I thought about poker so much. I, I got, I think in, in the times where I was playing my best, the way that I would think about it is, okay, what's the best strategy against my own strategy? Because, you know, you you have to like, be in that forward thinking, you have to think ahead of, okay, how can someone combat this? And is there a way that if they figure this out, that they're going to be able to exploit you in all these different ways? And I think one of the first eureka moments I had was like, okay, the best strategy against my strategy is to keep pot small and stay away. And the people who don't do that wind up in the blender and you know you're going to wind up in tough spots over and over again and you know if you keep going after you know the other toughest people in the jungle you're going to get cut and bit sometimes but if you know you can navigate through you know see you know i respect this guy over here you know sometimes you're going to wind up in a pot with him but you're also not going to go out of your way to try to be in a pot with a person who's like on this level and you know, it's that's like the ego that I feel like gets a lot of people too, and probably because. So, like you know, what what that said to me in that time of like not competing, uh, what the what I got from that is that there are probably a lot of people that I competed against that felt like that they were competing against me, and that was like an extra layer that made them unable to compete against me because. It's almost like I'm clear in that space. They're like congested because they're thinking, okay, they have to get past me. I'm just like, no, no, I just have to like make the right decision, get past myself. So it's like, then, you know, you, you're navigating the river becomes all that harder. Yeah. I think going into this conversation, some myself included, 
might wonder like how you got to the top, the very top of the game without studying, like generic studying, so to speak. But listening to you speak, it's so clear how you learn and how you grow as a person. And you mentioned like being open-minded. And so I'm picturing you going to a new format and learning from imitation, you mentioned as well, like kind of mimicking people. If you look at our childhoods, like before six years old, we literally pick up language, you pick up skills, you pick up motor skills, you pick up how to walk, talk, just by watching. We literally, just, no one gives us a book to read. We just watch people, we learn stuff. So we learn from imitation. And you mentioned like absorbing information and you talk about like energy getting absorbed. So imagine you being like an open vacuum, absorbing all the information around you, mimicking things that are good that you think that could be working, but also radically open-minded to what could be explored where other people might fix themselves off strategy-wise. You're just this creative bundle of energy. You're absorbing all the good points, then you almost got your own ingredients to mix around and you allow yourself to be creative. You mentioned at the start of the conversation, actually, which I, I wrote down, our creativity gets stolen from us often by society, by people. And if you say for you, you've never allowed your creativity to be stolen. You've always allowed yourself to come up with your own strategies, come up with what works for you. So yeah, really, really intriguing. And yeah, I think that's, it shows how your mind works, but also how you're able to uh, be a good winner in every game because it, like success leaves clues. And you're, you've been a long winner for a long time. And um, in all games you've played for su such a sample size that it's impossible to say it's been anything other than a skill. So I think for you, for the audience listening, understanding that, yeah, this open-mindedness. I think that's the thing as well where it's easy to talk about being open-minded, but we often have fixed views on something. For example, I like being right. I like my viewpoints being, this is, I'm good at this. If I've got to open my mind up, I've got to go, uh, I could be wrong. That what I just did there could be awful. What this guy did there, which I class as bad, could have actually max exploited me and I could be the idiot, not him. Oh, that feels uncomfortable. I don't like sitting with that. Maybe I should label him an idiot and I'm the genius. Ah, I'm the genius, he's the idiot, perfect. All right, back to my cave and life goes on. So uh, I think we can talk about that, but it's harder to do in practice. Um, so yeah, hopefully for anyone listening, it's been refreshing to hear what it's like to be open-minded and to uh, yeah, try on different viewpoints and perspectives as well. All right, I want to bring in Renny now, because I know Renny's been waiting patiently. It's normally me waiting patiently on the sidelines, uh, but we went deep into your mind, how you think about poker, how you think about life, your whole holistic philosophies. And I know Renny is very keen to go into your, how you think about strategy and how you've improved your technical game. So I'll pass it over to you, Renny. Yeah, I mean, you already actually touched on a topic that I actually was very curious in diving into because he also mentioned it like you won in every format of poker. And this is also something that Adam already touched on. And I was curious, like from a technical perspective, what are like some concepts that all poker games slash formats have in common that you need to understand in order to be successful in all these games? Like there's some underlying mechanics in all games of poker that, you know, that translate well into all the games. Could you maybe think of a couple? Yeah, well, like first, so the I got one amazing piece of advice, or especially for like the way that I like to play poker. When I was 20 years old, I met this guy who was a big winner at the time playing 2550 on like stars, like maybe in the same days as you, maybe a bit before he was monkey 101 on stars, like back in like maybe 2006, he was like the number one winner on there. Yeah, I think that sounds like 2006, 2007. And um, I was hanging out with him on one trip in uh, at Commerce Casino. I was 20 or 21 years old. And um, he kind of opened my mind of saying that his whole approach is based on like what the other person has. So it was like my mind exploded. Like at the time I was playing this game that was, you know, focused on what I had. And what do you, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, it's like it all just like got wiped out right there. It's like, okay, so this game is actually focused on what your opponent has, how to exploit them the most and how to navigate like through this, see the most. So, and then I think it's, it's a lot of 
taking some type of mechanics that you learned from a different type of game. So like, for example, when I jumped into Heads Up PLO, I'd played Heads Up No Limit before. So I, some of like the mechanics of Heads Up Poker are similar, even though the game is completely different, the way you think about it and the way that you approach it. So now it's like you take those pieces that you have that apply to this while at the same time being willing to like open your mindset and thinking of how heads up in this game is different than the other game so it's like taking the the skills that you have translating some of them and also just ex being okay with being a beginner at something and just be being willing to pay the price that it costs to go from beginner to the next phase which i would say then just went to business like you know even though it's not on the topic it's like then the same thing you know in any type of mountain it's like you know can you can you go from like um ex or expert maybe not expert but someone with an ad high advanced something to then you know going to like a next thing accepting that you're a beginner and then paying the price to become something bigger so it's like when i went into business i was a beginner you have to pay the price to graduate from beginner to anything else would many people have jumped into business the way that I did? Almost certainly not. But I was happy since my whole like experience, my whole thing is experience and I learn through experience. I'm not going to learn it through a book. I'm going to learn it like inexperience and how it works for me. So it's like I have to pay the price to be the fish in the beginning to then be able to level up to the point where you know, you go from the fish to holding your own to now maybe mastering like what field that you're in and being okay with being the fish, I think is a necessary trait in those. Because if you think that you're going to go into any of these games and be like, okay, you know, I'm great at Omaha. So of course I'm going to be great at, you know, mixed games for some reason. What do you like? The two don't go in two together at all, but there are some things in poker that, you know, concepts that you use and ways that you think about it. It's kind of like the same way where uh, you'll see people who have no idea how to play mixed hop into like the 50K in the summer and make runs or even win the tournament just knowing tournament strategy and when to pr push like the gas and when to hold off, like which is interesting too as well. You know, someone... Um, like Mizraki, I think is a perfect example who won the players championship multiple times. I think if you asked other high stakes mixed game players, how his mixed game is in a vacuum, they would probably say that he shouldn't be playing at the highest level with others. But then at the same time, because he has other skills that translate to success in that format, even without understanding that maybe some of even basic, basic, like, understandings that these other experts are so deep into he's able to with his skills like navigate that and then others you know will probably will will look at it and say you know oh no he's lucky not sure maybe like luck exists sometimes but you know when it, when it's consistently happening in like regular-ish basis you know i think he won the players championship twice i think he final table did another two times in the past like 20 years and this is a five-day tournament that's so like deep and long and you play so many hands of so many different games so if you look at things like buy a textbook you say oh well, it doesn't make sense which is then why you have to 
not just it's like don't judge the book by its cover before you know what's inside and actually that's you- uh that's very interesting what you touched on like you could let's say you play a tournament and it doesn't really matter if it's blo mixed game no limit holdem but indeed like reading the situation like oh this guy is under quite a lot of pressure i should apply some pressure here or oh my stack at this moment's quite valuable maybe i should sit it out these like overlying principles that whatever game you play they will apply in this tournament format so if you're a good tournament player you could probably play PLO, No Limit, Hold'em, Mixed Game. A lot of things will transition. I guess it's more difficult than when you play. Or I guess if you're playing a cash game player, if you're a cash game player and you're used to playing deep stack, a lot of the deep stack concepts will translate. If I play PLO or No Limit, Hold'em, if we're deep, we're deep. Some some concepts will apply. And if we're short, we're short. Some concepts will still apply. Yeah, for sure. But this aha moment actually that you felt said was, I think, was very interesting where you said, like, oh, it's not about my own cards. I have actually a very similar aha moment twice, I think. I remember there was this girl called, from Norway, Annette 15 or something, if oh, I yeah, recall correctly, that she won a tournament without looking at her cards. That was yeah. like the story, right? It was like, what do you mean? What a tournament? But you need your cards, right? And I was like, huh. So then I remember I was playing like some, some multi-table sit-and-goes on Food Tilt back then. And I also started to understand, like, oh, these checks are stored. They cannot bust. I, basically, I understood the ICM. I didn't know what ICM was, but I was like, wait, but they're short. I can put pressure on them. And then I remember it's like, oh, I will put my hand, like, above my cards. And then next time, if this spot comes, I will just jam any two. And I would literally put my hands on my cards. I can apply pressure to you guys. You know, yeah. I had no clue what I was. I had no clue about ICM, but I understood ICM in a certain way. I was like, ah, I can put a lot of pressure here. And sometimes I would just be jamming like Jack 3 option from the hijack because just, you know, I was just levering pressure. I didn't care yeah. about the cards, you know? Yeah, exactly. But that's actually when you start to realize that, like, oh, wow, it's not about my own cards. It's, I remember it was a very big breakthrough for me as well. Yeah. Um, You did actually end up deciding on MTTs for, I guess, your most professional career. I don't know how much other games, but I've, that's, I think, what you're most known for, and that's also what you're number one in. What is it yeah, then so about MTTs it, it, that makes, well, that makes it, no limit MTTs, that makes it... Well, actually, it was just like when I lost that, like, um, when I spun up the 50K to 3.5 million, it was all in cash games. I'd never played an MTT before then. Then when I, like, lost it all, I got to the point where... I think when I started, when I lost it all at first, I might have been playing still like some 10, 20, 25, 50 when let's say I was at like 500k roll to like negative roll or so. And I kept trying to play cash a bit. The pro- I realized though that because I was playing such high stakes and such a high level that I couldn't really bring my presence into these cash games at a low level. And I was I was almost like, pushed in the direction of okay well the thing that you you know you're negative 500 in the hole you're not playing well at 510 what can you do to get yourself out of it and you know mtt's just kind of like popped up and that uh, and that that started well you were like okay but strategic from like a strategical perspective do they intrigue you more than for example the cash games i enjoyed it so much more than i started to see like mtt's like um like fun and cash games like a job like cash games for me seemed like clocking in at work had a lot of similar like aspects where like in mtts there were so many different scenarios that kind of kept things fun for me always so it was like i i just had fun in them and kind of really just didn't look back actually i can relate to that like i don't play much tournaments i mainly play cash games but 
I do say that if I hop on a tournament, especially live, uh, you sit down and I'm just there to solve the puzzle. I get like all these new situ situations and scenarios that I don't really, I'm not used to. And I like, it really triggers the creativity and brings really back the fun. I can definitely relate to that. I'm curious, like we, we talked a bit about uh, solvers, decisions, like obviously for a solver to come up with the correct, correct, correct decision, quote, quote, it needs like certain information, right? It needs to take things to consider realized. Yeah, who's the in-position player, out-of-position player, what's the SPR? Of course, what are the ranges? Because the ranges will make up the equities, which is, you know, pretty important in poker, any game you play. I believe yourself, you're not so much into solvers, if I understood that correctly, but you obviously make great decisions. What information do you find is most important to look for and to process in order to make the correct decisions? I'm kind of, I kind of want to know what kind of, what variables do go in the mind of the Bring Kenny solver? You know that that you need to take in consideration in order to make a good decision. Okay, so it, I would say like uh, it starts with like uh, in like the high rollers where I've had like the most success. It starts with like how's the person feeling that day? At what stage of the tournament are we in? Uh, then it comes down to like when you're inside of a hand, you know, you wind up in like a big river spot, and you then have to recon. So now like in this big river spot, the person's representing a certain hand. Then you start to construct the hand from pre-flop to river and say you know it does the story check out of this person the way that they usually play or the way that you know do they actually have this hand and it's i guess it's looking it's continuously looking for things that don't make sense that like kind of ring out so it's like you know someone's trying to rep a hand on the river and you you get to like the flop on it and it just doesn't make sense to you that this hand that they're now trying to rep on the river that they actually had like on the flop or pre-flop or on the turn or so. So it's like con deconstructing all the information that you have and like putting the puzzle back together and trying to solve like, I guess, their way of thinking. So mine is all about trying to understand the way that the other person thinks and I feel like I'm better equipped to wind up in rare situations than they are with the tools that I have. And I I guess I welcome those new situations and I'm comfortable in them. Yeah, you're you're more comfortable, I would say, from what I'm hearing, is like problem solving on the fly, basically. Yeah. I would I've said exactly that before for sure. I mean, this is this is very important, and I've I've heard this before, and this is something that's currently a bit more overlooked because solvers really make you focus on trying to play a good strategy from your perspective. But as you as you learned from from this guy that you mentioned, he's only thinking about what his opponent has. And in order to know what your hand can do, we need to think about what our opponent has. And like current modern day thinking is way more focused on oh, I should do this, I should do that. And that's very solver driven where you're clearly way more focused on, okay, I'm trying to figure out what the hell this guy has. And if my hand can call, like sometimes people may, might fold the hand to say, oh, this hand is low up in my range. I don't need to call this hand. But it's like, yeah, but you, that's maybe the wrong question. So you want to ask yourself, can I call this hand based on what I think my opponent is up to? And it's and like, that yeah, way, and it, if you it, think, if you think can, you might sometimes fold your range or you might sometimes call your range, which, you know, is probably a more, uh, accurate way of going around things and then I, th I think that i like think ahead too whereas like okay the way i think in some spots is let's say we wind up like on a flop 
uh, and we don't have anything, but this is like a board that we, that versus our select opponent here, we can very safely bet like quarter pot, quarter pot, shove for pot on the river, and they're just going to go call, call, fold. So whereas like someone else is thinking, okay, like I'm bluffing, so I want to bet big here and get him off it on the flop. I'm taking like the suicide, like not suicide, but I'm taking the very high risk approach of, okay, I'm sure that actually because this guy's going to fold on the river to my all-in shove, I actually want more and more chips. So actually, even though I'm bluffing, I'm actually value betting the flop and turn because I know I'm stealing it on the river. Yeah, you're, inv you're investing in your bluff, I like to call this. Invest yeah. in your bluff. Be like, okay, let let them call, let them call because I'm going to steal the pot later anyway. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, this is, I think, also it's understanding how how much or your bet setting, how that influences your range and when kind of your desired job is complete. So you might fire out a very big bet on the earlier street and expect him to already fold most hands. And then to fire, keep on firing is kind of useless because you've already kind of pushed his range towards hands that they're now only going to call you. So it's kind of understanding when, what, what job you're trying to accomplish and when the job is completed, so to speak. Do yeah. you, do you I, associate with that? Yeah, definitely. And then like, Cause yeah, there's so much creativity that you can really do. So like another thing pops up to me. So we're playing like a hundred K tournament in Vegas. Um, opponent in the hand is uh, David Einhorn, you know, super successful hedge fund guy, like plays poker for fun, uh, plays on the, on the tighter side, I would say. So we wind up in this spot where um the the uh, we've got like nine ten off suit the flop is like uh ten four four he check calls the big blind um the turn comes like a a three um like he check raises the turn we call because it doesn't really make sense as anything the river completes the flush on the river with a queen so he checks and in this spot like uh almost everyone would check behind uh, i saw it as okay he tried some like strange bluff on the turn that he like check raised something that like has nothing he doesn't have a flush here you know maybe he's got a random queen but most likely he doesn't so i just go for like the 10 to 15 percent pot bet on the river only to induce a raise knowing that we're actually never getting called and winning uh, only inducing a raise he wakes up with like a raise with his like ace two off or ace five off or something and uh he's he's just like he's standing he stands up and he's just looking at the board like in disbelief and uh another guy like comes up behind him and he tells him he says you know good good bluff wrong customer <laughs> I mean, good bluff. I mean, you would never, you would never make. Basically, your bet there is only designed to get raised. So I don't know how 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 great the bluff is, but I I completely agree with you here. Most people are like, well, uh, oh, I check behind, I wink quite often. He probably doesn't. Have to, he's going to call it anyway. So yeah, hand hand is over there, but. A little in juice on the river. I really like this play, man. It's a good so play. It's like, yeah, it's play. like it's like that creativity, you know. Since everything's possibility, you just wind up in that spot at that exact time, and the correct play is only how you can extract the most value. 
you could say whatever for any the best thing that you could do in every moment is either extract the most value or lose the minimum in like spots that you just can't win the pot and you know you know there can also be times where you just got lucky to get into that maybe it wasn't but if some you know for me personally if i was someone competing against myself and seeing you know these type of crafty plays i wouldn't equate any type of luck with it no especially like even even on how can i say let's say even it's a short even it's a small sample if you see a hand like this it shows some sort of you know with, with, without boosting your confidence a bit too much it shows some sort of brilliance you know like you have to you have to really think on a on a on an other level to come up with a play like that it's it's not it's, it's not within the standardized playbook well, because, yeah, it's like the thing of what is it? You master something in 10,000 hours. And when I like thought about it, I've spent about 100,000 hours like playing poker. Uh, you, prob you probably read mastery 10 times then, according to this rule. We saw a little piece of mastery right there. Yeah, the it's like it's, no, it's normal. That's what's like supposed to happen, really. It's like you dedicate like your life and your craft to something. And you, you, I hope that you have some mastery in there. Not That's to say true. that you're perfect, because I'm far, I'm very far from perfect, but willing to rewrite the drawing board. Yeah, because like plays, plays that are a bit more out of the box, they're usually also on a thin line, right, between brilliance and <laughs> and like what the fuck was well, that? That's the thing. So right? the yeah, thing you also mentioned like bring presence. I, I wrote down you bring presence. How important is then bringing presence to if you play this type of poker, right? Which I I, I get you. You're a bit so more important. intuitive if you follow your gut than if if you're if you're if you're not present and if your gut is wrong, you know, you're balancing a, a quite thin line there. Yeah, and if you're not feeling good that day and your whole like thing is about like your instincts and your instincts maybe are just off that day because like you're not thinking like in your most clear way. So then you just have to get back to the drawing board and be like, okay, well, I can't let anything that's going on outside of the table affect me at the poker table. And if it's going to, I can't play poker then. Oh, that makes sense. So I, I've also heard you talk about the 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 flow of the game. Which variables do it exist in like within the word the flow of the game? Well, what are we talking about? Because flow. So it's can like be a stage, bit... stage, stage of the tournament and like stack distribution of the table. So like you know when you're hitting these points of getting close to the money, close to the final table. There are sometimes, you know, like you like you were touching on, you can raise with any two cards without looking at your cards. But at the same time, if you're trying to do that same style and you've got strong players on your left, you know, good luck. Like you're going to wind up like in a tough one. So that's why I like poker is like a bit. It's good to be humbled in poker because, you know, just because you're playing tight in a certain like situation that you're in doesn't mean that you think that anyone's better than you. It just means that you think that that's the right strategy to come. So you can think that you're the best in the world and you can also wind up at a table at a certain stage of a tournament and your mind is like, okay, I'm just going to fold like everything. And then not to let it also affect like, I don't know, what do you mean? I'm bet I'm the best. Like I have to, you know, do something and, and make something happen. It's like, no, really, you just have to like sit back, take a breath and it's going to come to you. Yeah, this is also kind of like 
it's a thin, uh, thin line again between forcing spots and trying to see spots that are not really there or to really... Yeah. And again, I, I agree with you, like presence, yeah. because those kind of spots you feel that are right, but sometimes you feel that you're kind of trying... You want them, you want the spot to be there, but you actually, deep down inside, you know it's not the one, right? Yeah. But yeah, still, then you sure. still go for it. It's always like that thin it. line, really, and that's why like you need the confidence. And that's, why I guess, also why you spend so much time nowadays more on like being happy, being present, being in the moment instead of forcing more hours on poker study because it wouldn't really translate into more win rate for you. Yeah. What What is something in your opinion that like current modern day GTO players uh, fail to understand about the game of poker? They see it like inside of a vacuum that the, so that the situation is like, you know, just there as it's presented to you and doesn't like change at all and i mean i couldn't disagree more with like the whole approach of gto i don't i don't know if it's like just because the way that i think it doesn't relate to my own way of being at all or that it's really something that's robbing everyone of their creativity i'm sure that there are some people who are very robotic thinkers that their way of being is like kind of memorizing and playing like this certain style. But personally, I believe that it takes the fun and creativity out of the game, which you'll never be able to be your best without expressing some type of creativity and having fun. And I think that, that yeah, that's why I like poker is amazing because it's like an ex a perfect expression of your creativity. But then at the same time, it's so funny too. It's like life, you know, li there are so many ways to express your creativity in life, but all the things in life are telling you that you should be like this, like this mold fit in this box. You should do things this way. And the people who there are, you know, tons of people that go that way. I'm just in the way of thinking like, you know, actually infinite possibilities exist, you know, have fun while you're doing something, you know, be able to laugh at yourself and yeah so actually i hate it to be honest you know how the rhetoric nonstop is about how like you know if you don't play gto and poker you can't win like okay you know, maybe this is also like from the way people talked to you about gto and how you got into touch with gto because i would say that I've totally love GTO, but there's so much room to be creative. But it all comes down to you go sit with the solver. And if you go in there and you say, solver, tell me what I have to do. Yes, it will rob you from all your creativity. But if you sit with the same solver and start to play around with it and ask it, hey, solver, what can I do in various situations if this changes, if this changes, if that changes? Then suddenly you will see, oh, wow, if I play around with these variables, change this. Then the solver is one of the most creative. creative oh yeah, well then I, I wouldn't, on, on I wouldn't the market, call that you know? person. Yeah, I wouldn't call that that person like a solver player. I would say that they're using the tools that are available to, to their advantage to enhance their game. People forget that the solver, that the outputs that they're looking at, it's just a toy game. It's just a yeah. toy game for the situation with the input that it's been given. It has nothing to I do guess. with reality. Yeah, I think what it is is too many people bunch together too many things that are similar, but not the same, and then say that they are the same and then see them as that same way instead of the approach that you can have with the solver. So I think that 
probably 99% of the people are in that bunch group, bunch things together, do less work than they could in the approach that you're saying. I think the approach that you're saying is very similar to my approach in a different way. Mine is just doing it while playing nonstop and yours is doing it while like tinkering with numbers nonstop. I think both of those can get to the same place, but for sure, like if you're textbooking it and bunching them together, I think that it can. Yeah. So instead of, for example, what I would then recommend, let's say people would study how to play button versus big blind. Then they would study how to play hijack versus big blind. Then they would study MP versus big blind. It might be you're wasting a lot of time because if you would sure focus on button versus big blind and then just focus on, hey, I'm now in a tight range formation. What will change? Out of that, you get a concept. Oh, in tighter ranges, I will play like this. Or, I don't know, you were studying a spot at 40 BB. What changes if I play 20 BB? Out of that, you get certain concepts that you can apply to your game. Hey, in general, stack size will impact my strategy in a certain way. But you don't have to learn, restudy the whole tree. And actually, the rubbing of the creativity, we had actually uh, a guest on in the previous podcast with Nikolai, and he touched on a block of Stefan. You're probably not in touch with the current online street, but Stefan112 is a very creative Russian poker player considered one of the best. And he actually wrote in his blog that it's, he didn't like poker. He saw it as a job. But when he started to see poker as an expression of himself and a place where he could express his creativity, that's when it all changed. And like and you had said exactly the same. So I had to I had to remember of that previous podcast for the people who I want to check it, it out. Go to guy. the Nikolai podcast. Yeah, yeah, I love to see it. Yeah, I love that thinking. Yeah, he made he made a blog pass. I, I put it I put it in the description of the Nikolai podcast. I will, I will send it over to you uh, uh, okay, cool. after after our podcast. It's it's uh, yeah, really re really good poker player. What is something that that you actually learned from new school players? Because you have played a lot with like the new new school GTO players, and I'm sure they've put you in spots. And you pay attention to what other people pay players do. That's a part of how you learn. What have you learned from like the new school, the new school era? I think the new phase was like uh, people squeezing like bigger, like in out of position spots where like uh, in the past it was a lot of like clicking and small raises where it's like really turned into like big raises in like these similar ish type of spots. So it's like, um, it's hard to say that definitively because like throughout like all those phases, you know, you see something that like Chidwick is doing and you like it and you incorporate it into like your game and you try to like pick those like pieces from everyone. So since it's like a, an always change, my approach is like always changing thought process. It's always taking what others believe to be what other smart people believe to be right or a good play and analyzing it in your own like calculator and saying, okay, you know, maybe actually I'm going to use this for this and this and this, or maybe you don't even realize and you just wind up in that spot and you've seen someone do that and you like it and you make like a similar play in that. And it's just like, it's with you without you even realizing that it's with you. Mm. I want to kind of, take this moment to to reflect and you know you're currently at, at the top of the mountain even though the mountain keeps on growing right this is just one of the mountains what has been the most important lesson that poker has taught you accept things as they are and not wish for something different mm. yeah this is also this is kind of the key to not being frustrated because usually when we're just frustrated and angry, it's we haven't really come to terms yet with how current reality looks, right? 
because then you could you could say it even like in a more poker way of you know you've got to accept the cards that you're getting dealt and not wish that you had different ones i mean to be fair how how how, how many people and how much brain power do you waste and like oh that's such a bad river oh that's a... no it's just a river it's like why, river. why 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 do you have to label it that this is not great oh oh i'm in such shit situation yeah, exactly. but I, I do get. It. I mean, it happens. I'm sure it it, it happens to you some, or I or I'm I'm I the only human one here because sometimes if I'm in the wrong state of mind, it does still happen to me, right? And I'm like, ah, oh. yeah. of course, no. Everyone has like those thoughts, and like even thoughts that don't like resonate with you are gonna like pop up, and you know they're still gonna exist like in that space. You know, I I wanted to start closing off this conversation. What would you like the main takeaway to be that people get from? we've talked over three hours quite quite a quite a long podcast but you know you're a very wise guy so we try to extract as much wisdom out of you as possible but what would you want the audience their main takeaway of this conversation to be so yeah, they're, they're going to close off the like. conversation they're going to be like wow um one of these things i guess it bridges into the other and one of these songs that i like uh, it says uh, if you think of something it is so I want to like what that would mean to me is something more like no dream is too big unless if you tell yourself that it's too big. But for great things to happen, you have to believe in yourself. If you don't have that belief in yourself, then you've already stacked the deck against you. So it's like believe in yourself and just keep going. You know, don't Believe let anyone yourself anything, and keep going. Don't yeah, don't let anyone or anything stop you from what you believe to be true. Wow. But then also allow yourself to be humbled. Adam, would you like to add anything to 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 the takeaway? Well, I have one unanswered question, so I want to really just dive in with that. So uh, you mentioned earlier what you need to perform at your best, and you said number one was sleep. I was curious to know what's number two to five for Bryn to perform at his best. Let's say you're going into a super high roller final day. What are some of the things that are really important to make sure you show up as your best self? Okay, so my biggest winning year was in that 2019 year, and it was a bit different than like all my other years. Like in those years what i i would say the most important things were um eating good clean food rest taking proper like supplementation to be prepared like in that moment some of it was like brain pills some of it was like at this energy like a green energy drink that i would bring um and bringing laughter and balance like in my life i think are so such underrated things and especially those aren't really things that i had in my earlier years in my career making like the storm tougher to navigate but uh if you're going through intense times if you can bring like fun and laughter like into your life it'll make those much more manageable to get through amazing Thank you so much for your time. We'll wrap it up there. And we appreciate you spending the last three hours with us. Yeah, for sure. I think it was a great combo. Loved having it with you guys. All right. What a great conversation. That was wrapping up another great episode. Bring Kenny, thank you very much for sharing all your wisdom. Adam, any main takeaways? I mean, there must be so many main takeaways, but you know, not to repeat the whole podcast, just a couple ones. Yeah, the main ones, 
I want to dive into or just reflect on are dreaming big and having that big picture dream. I think anyone listening to Brian could be inspired by his ability to think outside the box, but to set a goal that's scary, ambitious, but it's it's big thinking, being the best poker player in the world, starting a poker site, anything he does, he, he allows himself to think big and have a big dream. Then we talked about like kind of having the belief and confidence in yourself to uh, to keep going, to keep going. And some very challenging things for a lot of us to relate to, even myself in terms of how he thinks about risk, being willing to put everything on the line for the belief in a better outcome or a belief in your kind of dream vision. And for him, he's got that so um, entwined that he always will sacrifice everything almost to get to that to where he wants to go. This can lead to big ups, big downs, but also it leads to him always being on the path and always uh, backing himself to find answers. So this links to climbing the mountain. I had the analogy, uh, and I mentioned the hero's journey as we were going through it, but climbing the mountain and leveling up your character every step of the way. So he's trying to get to the best poker player in the world and he's constantly learning lessons. And one of the things that allowed him to continually grow and level up was this mindset of acceptance, accepting everything that happens and having this holistic view of everything is happening for a reason. Life has given me this challenge to learn from it, to grow. Therefore, I accept exactly what life has given me and I will move forward, which links into him being very present in the moment. He always thinks about being uh, in the moment and trying to act from that lens, not getting caught up in the narrative, trying to give himself creative permission to uh, be himself and express himself. But yeah, the ability to move on, accept, I thought was really powerful. You also mentioned surrendering, surrendering to uh, life and we don't know how life's gonna unfold. We can set a direction, life might have other plans and being okay with that. And then I think what we didn't really speak about as a concept, but I thought was a theme throughout the conversation was resilience. He's very good at, he mentioned, digging himself out of a hole. And this is the ability to, when things get badly, uh, continue to move forward. He mentioned holding on to the roller coaster when the roller coaster crashes a million into the hole. And he's definitely either had a lot of resilience, but most likely he's built resilience through adversity. He's went through more downs and swings than almost any of us will be able to relate to. Like the amount of times he's went negative a million is quite crazy to, to think about, but he's built resilience that that's normal to him. He can handle it. And he says, when things get badly, I back myself to take that as armor, take that as fuel and to get back to it and keep marching forward. So yeah, I think those are amazing life skills. I think, yeah, anyone listening would learn a lot from that. So and if you saw Brandon, what the main topics you wrote down? What really fascinated me is that uh, he really takes in consideration a couple of things, actually. He takes in consideration the human aspect of poker, and he really zooms out and really sees it in the bigger picture. So he doesn't really look at the EV of the hand in a vacuum. He every time mentioned things that are like bigger picture EV wise, right? And then he talked a lot about maneuvering. So I remember he talked about, oh yeah, should you really defend the Jack for offsuit where it makes 0.1 BB? He also understood that, okay, what you see in the solver, in the charts and the EV, it's in a static model where in the real world, we don't play in a static model. So what we have to do is figure out, well, okay, in which kind of scenarios is Jack for offsuit going to be plus 0.5 or minus 0.5? And that's he mentioned like, oh, if you play against a guy who's winning all the tournaments, feeling very confident, he's probably going to play very good. He's going to follow up with a lot of aggression. So probably we should not be defending Jack for Offsuit versus this specific opponent. So he's talking a lot about elasticity in your prefab ranges and maneuvering around the table, right? Playing more versus guys who are weaker, maybe low in confidence and playing less versus the guy who's winning all the titles. It's probably uh, not a great idea. He also talked about like, creativity and giving yourself the permission to be creative 
also Stefan talked about it. So if Stefan and both Print talk about it, both online and live geniuses, there's probably some truth in it. Let poker be an expression of your creativity. And how do you do that? You have to go in, not with the question of what do I have to do here, but what can I do here? Because in can I do lays, I don't know how many possibilities, right? We can start playing around with the variables. Well, what happens if this changes? What happens if this changes? Then suddenly poker becomes very creative and becomes a lot of fun, okay? So focus on the impact certain variables have on strategies instead of just copying the strategies blindly. This is actually a topic we've we touched on before, but also what Brim really talked uh, about and I think opens up our mind with all the information that's actually available, right? I never thought about walking in the tournament room and seeing who's confident and based on that, <laughs> staying out of his way, right? But it's a piece of information that he has that he knows will determine the EV of his play, right? We can talk about tells, both uh, physical tells, timing tells, etc. These are all pieces of information that we can pick up that gives us a more accurate picture about what his range really is. And that's when Brain is really good at like trying to figure out if people are too strong, too weak, and then try to maneuver himself towards victory like he did in many, many tournaments, all right? Great conversation, great podcast, wrapping it up. I want to know your main takeaways. Write them down below in the chat. GTO Wizard, our sponsor, will pick one of you lucky guys and you will win one month free GTO Wizard. Go over to gtowizard.com if you want to go check that out or click in the link down below. I want to thank Adam for co-hosting this podcast with me and I want to thank Brim for coming on. I want to remind you guys that it's the last opportunity to join the Mechanics of Poker 2.0 program. We are closing at the end of this weekend. If you want to have a chance to work with me and Adam, now is the time. We've put it together the best promotion ever. You will get a 25% off on the program. Three bonuses, close to 3,000 euro of free value. And it's the last enrollment that we will do for the Mechanics of Poker 2.0. So this is your last chance to join the program before it closes permanently. Work with me and Adam. Make more progress in your poker career in 2024. Wrapping it up, like this video, subscribe to the channel, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. <laughs>